I hit record. So I have, I have a question. Okay. It's about um, it's about estrogens in water. Oh shit. Um, should we be concerned? Uh, you're drinking water right now. No. Are there are there estrogens? Are no. you growing breasts? We should. I. <laughs> That's a heavy question. Um, I, we should be concerned. <laughs> um, so I, we don't we don't usually do this. <laughs> like um, this is a, a food safety talk podcast that we don't typically do stuff where um, people are in the room with us. So it's it's always like a little bit weird. Um, so I'm I'm really confused. You say this is Food Safety Talk podcast. Oh yeah. But you're wearing a Pod Save America shirt. Yeah, I know. I was I was chatting with somebody outside the room, and she saw you walk by, and she's like, "Wait a minute, I recognize his voice. Is he one of the guys from Pod Save America?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally am. I'm on I'm on all the best podcasts. I'm on Pod Save America. I have Food Safety Talk um, stickers, by the way, leftovers for for our audience members. We're nice. we're. Uh, um, you know, one of the things that Don and I have uh, stolen from lots of people um, in the podcast world is as soon as you start recording, it's in the show. So this is all in the show. Um, and we, uh, I think this is the fifth time that we've recorded at IAFP. I think that's probably right. Well, six if we count episode zero. Right. Um, and I, I told this story a couple of days ago. Um, and listeners that are here might like know it already, but those who aren't, Don and I started this podcast, let's say six, uh, seven years ago, something like that. And it started at an IAFP um, uh, in Milwaukee, and it was the 100-year anniversary of uh, IAFP. And because of that 100-year anniversary, we, um, the organization invited StoryCorps from NPR to record sort of, an, I guess, an oral history of... Um, things, all things food safety around IAFP. And Don and I knew each other, but we kind of, we got paired up in that, um, uh, in that story core, um, you know, combination. And then the podcast was kind of born out of that. So if we count this, that, then I think this is our sixth, sixth time doing it. I think the first time we did it live, it was just you and I. <laughs> We didn't. We didn't know about promotion back then. Yeah, and then, and, and, and honestly, I'm not sure that anybody was really listening back then. No, true, true. And I think the second time we did it, it was just you and I. And then the third time we did it, then we had um, uh, deep deep, deep freeze. Deep freeze came on, and then deep freeze came on again. And then we started having come more a couple more people. So, so maybe and, and, I, my my numbers might be off, but yeah, this is definitely the largest crowd that we've had at an IAP event. I think we might need a bigger room next year. Mm. Um, we're, we're totally going to need a bigger room. Uh, and I also want to say, for anybody who's interested, um, if you want to listen to that uh, episode zero, um, we'll link to this in the show notes, but uh, foodsafetytalk.com, the about page, uh, there's actually a link at the bottom of the about page to episode zero, so you can listen to that. Uh, don't, if you do listen, please don't tell um, StoryCorps about it, because we're not supposed to be posting any of those anywhere, but uh, so far they ha nobody's noticed and nobody's complained, so, so listen and enjoy. We don't, we don't make a lot of money off of this. <laughs> do we make any money? Nope. I think... This is, I call this a hobby. Yeah. Um, actually, it's part of my consulting business, so I try to lose money, um, you know, because it helps me. I think, I think that makes sense, so that it helps me with taxes. I think you're consulting correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you're supposed to make money when you're consulting. Well, you're supposed to lose money when you're filing your taxes, I think. Oh. No, nobody from the IRS listens, yeah. do they? Right. No, of course not. It's not IRS safety talk. Um, 
So I want to I want to also explain for those of you who are not in the room. Um, um, uh, we have uh, probably a dozen people here. Um, we also have bourbon. Um, and I have not had lunch, and I have a small bit of bourbon. I'm going to try my very best to only drink the small bit of bourbon because if I continue to not have lunch, which is highly likely, and I continue to drink more bourbon, um, it, it, it's going to seem like it's the best podcast, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be crap. So, um, and, and I'm going to stall a little bit longer because Ben is actually pouring himself a bourbon, and so uh, I need to wait until he's back at the microphone before back, he says back. Uh, I, will, I will also say, um, audience members, um, the bourbon is not for all for just for us oh, it's not for all of you <laughs> is what i thought you were gonna say <laughs> the bourbon the bourbon is not for any of you keep yeah. your hands off no the bourbon the bourbon is for everyone so please by all means go and help yourself to a bourbon um and uh yeah sit back and enjoy and we're we're so the plan is ben we are going to talk and we also have two chairs up here by on purpose um uh but we only have two microphones so we'll do our best to kind of swap the microphones out and and if people want to talk to us uh, at some point I guess that's what we're gonna do. I don't. Yeah, I didn't make any do. plans. Dude. I made plans. I, I, I plan to ask you a question about estrogens and water, but I that's I Check. crossed. I, that, yeah, yeah, crossed yeah that we off. did that. So um, well, that's that's been food safety talk. Uh, I guess we'll end the episode. No, um, yeah. So uh, on on the last episode, uh, I promised uh, that I would bring bourbon and red solo cups. So this morning I went out to do that. Um, you know, the, being the last minute kind of guy that I am, and so I had to. Um, check to make sure of a few things. One, could I buy bourbon in a CVS or, or other pharmacy? No, no favorites in any of the, uh, um, <laughs> in the pharmacy spaces. But yes, you can uh, buy uh, liquor uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning at a CVS in Louisville. Also, Louisville is under construction. I don't know if you've noticed this, but wherever you go, there's like you have to cross the street nine times to get anywhere. So I did that. Um, and then red solo cups were, were on purpose. This is something, you know, for those who listen to the podcast often, you know that um, Don and I come from, from two different backgrounds. Uh, I'm from Canada, and we don't have these, and thought that these were like a, like a myth, like you only see them in mu music videos. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know of any, like, red solo cups. We have, like, Dixie cups. They there's don't a, look like this. There's a whole country western song. About, yeah, about, I know. That's where I, I, I think it's called country now, but uh, about red solo cups, right? <laughs> we, we I both, don't listen to country and western. We're both country and western, <laughs> right? That's the... <laughs> both kinds of music. <laughs> Where's music. my bell? God damn it, I forgot <sighs> a bell. Um, so, yeah, as, as Don said, please uh, please help your, help yourself. Um, and um, I mentioned, I just mentioned quietly to Don uh, at the start that I have a game for us uh, today. Um, a little, little bit of um, I won't, I won't go too much into the details yet, but it involves the bourbon, and it's not a drinking game. That's very interesting. It's a I'm teaser. In, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. It's a I'm teaser. Intrigued. We'll come back to it. Come, we'll come back, back in the third half of the show. Yeah, yeah. Come back. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's a, that's a car talk reference. For <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had, um, I had some stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, I've, you know, being the, I, so I counted up, this is my 18th IAFP. Um, I'm not, I'm not in the, uh, 30 year members or 40 year members or 50 year members yet. But what are you at? Uh, you're, you're at a 30? Uh, 30. Well, so, I'm claiming, I, so I've been at Rutgers for 30 years. Yeah. I'm claiming, cause it's just too, I think, I'm not sure if I joined right when I first joined Rutgers and there might've been a year when I forgot to join. 
Um, but I'm just, I'm just going to make the math easy. I'm just going to say I, I, don't, I don't think they audit this. Um, so I'm just going to say 30 years because I've been at Rutgers doing food safety for 30 years. I was not, unlike you, I was not a member of IAFP when I was a student. Um, uh, I was a member of IFT and actually of ASM. Um, uh, but I, I did not go to IF, IAFP meetings and was not a member as a student. But, but I got the, I got the, the, I got hooked uh, early on uh, in, in my career at Rutgers. Um, yeah, and I, I did start as a, as a student. This is the first time I went to any sort of like professional meeting and gave a talk um, that totally scared me and it was dark um, and there was a spotlight on me um, and I didn't really know uh, how to react and totally forgot everything I was going to say and it was, did a terrible, terrible job. The second time I gave a talk was also at IFP the next year and I think it went better because that's when we met um, one of our friends, uh, Gordon Habern, uh, who, was the, uh, who spoke right after me and he said, oh, um, in, in only the way that Gordon Habern can, and he's been on the, the show, I can't remember what episode, but we'll find it, link to it in the show notes. He works for uh, Trophy Foods in Canada. He said, oh, I was also at your session last year. Your talk this year was much better. <laughs> Uh, so that's my my history. My history. Well, we're bringing more chairs in. Oh my gosh! So we are we are we are literally standing room only. Uh, we are getting more chairs. This is a professional podcast. We are getting more chairs. More chairs are being brought into the room. Um, and uh, yeah, so we should we should probably keep track of how many people um, we have. <laughs> for and so and extension then, reports. And then for, well, no, no, for for telling. So so the way the way that this works, we we now have David Tharp. Uh, God bless him. Conditioned such that before the show, he says, "Hey," before the before the meeting, he says, "Hey, do you guys need a room for your podcast?" Uh, and we say yes, and then he gives us whatever room he has. Um, and next year, we need to say, "Jesus, you people are drinking a lot of bourbon." Um, <laughs> the, uh, there might not be a game. <laughs> oh, we, wait, do we need to make sure there's bourbon no, left no, for the no, game? No, okay. no, no, no. Drink um, uh, the bourbon. And so, and, and so we say to David, you know, just give us a room, and he gives us a room, but we may need to keep track and um, give us a, a better, a bigger, bigger room, with bigger. maybe with, with more chairs. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, uh, when I came in earlier before the podcast uh, recording, came into the room, and uh, was meeting with a uh, uh, fr uh, friend of the uh, podcast, uh, Eric Moore from, from Testo, um, in here, there was just a table, two tables, and, and then six chairs. And I was like, oh, I don't think this is going to work. So we went and, and got a few more. But it's great to see other people come in. Uh, and it, again, it makes me a little more nervous because uh, now there are people behind me looking at my notes. That's a little, that's yeah. a little weird. I I'm, know. I'm, there's, nobody, there's nobody behind me. Yeah, I know. It's like I just don't even know how to how to react to this. Um, so you know what we need next year is we need a, a spinning dais. Oh my gosh! So that we can like sit in the middle of the room and spin around. Look, Actually, um, if we drink enough bourbon, that might happen this year. Well, time. let me tell you, it, my Sunday I think it was on a spinning dais all day uh, based on my recovery from Saturday. So uh, I think that would probably not be the best. Um, so uh, I you know I. I, I I was thinking a little bit about stuff to talk about here, um, being at IAFP, and, and I think every year when we talk about this, there, when we're here, we, I think we, we try to recap some of the stuff that we've done and participated in um, at the meeting. And the first thing that, that I wanted to 
chat about um, with you was um, uh, Barbara Chamberlain's uh, Ivan Parkin lecture on Sunday night, and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was super, super awesome. And um, I think last year in, in the same uh, uh, same episode here, we talked about uh, Gary Acuff's uh, excellent um, Ivan Parkin, but uh, I think Barbara brought you know a different flavor to Ivan Parkin lectures that we'd seen um, in the past, and it was one yeah one of the one of the one of the best ones I'd. I'd I had seen it was really really cool. Yeah, she did. She did a really a really nice job, and she's a little bit um, uh, unusual in terms of somebody in the food safety community because she's not a food safety person per se. She's. Uh, <clears throat> like a, a social media graphic arts kind of person. Apparently at one point she was a stand-up comedian, they said in her in her bio. Um, and she works at New Mexico State University, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, we yeah. Both, which we both visited. Yes. It's, it's weird being able to see you because I can look at your face and try to gauge whether I said something right or not. Um, <laughs> I will tip uh, but, you off with my we, eyebrows. Yeah, we, we visited as part of our multi-state grant and it's a really it's a really impressive operation and they do a lot of work around communication with different audiences and, and a lot of work with food safety, but not just food safety. And so it's uh, uh, it's a really interesting shop that they run. And uh, and yeah, she just gave a distant dynamite talk, uh, hit it out of the park in terms of um, you know how you communicate, what ways that they help people communicate effectively about food safety. Yeah, it was um, it was really I thought really cool. I think um, the 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 thing about Ivan the Ivan Parkin lecture that. Um, keeps drawing me back uh, every year is it, I think it's this sort of challenging type of lecture like you want if to if I was doing it and we we'd actually talked a little bit about this last year I'd want and my thoughts might be a little bit different but I, I would want to go in with like all brand new stuff right like it's it's kind of a debut kind of place and and I think the way that Barbara um, nailed sort of the, this idea around um, play and and the uh, importance of play and, and learning um, and and you know just being able to capture that sort of the first time and, and debuting that that here was was you know it was really I don't know it was really special it wasn't it's not like uh, watching a TED talk it was like oh there's a there's a food safety person up here just like doing a phenomenal job in a in a lecture and really I think starting the starting us all off on, on, a, on a good foot um, for for the meeting and it was it was super cool yeah and I just found I was just googling around for Barbara uh, Ivan Parkin talk and uh, actually food safety news did a really nice uh, uh, post about blog post about about her talk and so we'll, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes I keep it's got the IAFP 2019 uh, logo in the background I keep, that keeps looking that looks to me like a NASCAR logo does that does that look like does anybody else this looks like NASCAR it does I mean, look like I, NASCAR. I, and NASCAR is not in Louisville right Louisville is for the horses right <laughs> I don't know where NASCAR is I don't know I mean I know that I know that the NASCAR is a thing yeah anyway uh, um yeah it does it does um I think NASCAR was in Charlotte when we were there um so uh, another another thing uh, that yeah, I, it does look, I I'm 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 not going crazy. It does look like the NASCAR logo. All right, I rest my case. NASCAR logo. I think we're going to need to put that in show notes. Um, another thing, and I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, uh, another thing from the opening session that really uh, struck me, um, you know, that I wanted want to talk about here was um, Gary Acuff announced that uh, Bill Marler was donating. Um, Five thousand um, dollars in in honor, I think, is the phrase that he used of, of Doug Powell, our friend Doug, and um, it was uh, it does look like the NASCAR logo. Uh, Told uh, you, yeah. Um, and um, and and so throughout the the meeting, you know, uh, I have a Don and I both have uh, you know connection to to Doug. Um, Doug, um, you, 
you founded uh, Barf Blog and has really driven that, and the, the thing that I host, um, uh, the blog that I host there. Uh, and um, I, lots of people have sort of come up to me and was like, "Oh, you know, what's what's up with with Doug?" Um, you know, in the, the uh, like inevitable question of like, it sounded like in memoriam, is Doug, did Doug die? Um, no, Doug Doug didn't die, but he's not doing very well uh, health wise. Um, but it was is such a um, I don't know, just a nice a nice tribute for for Bill to to donate money in his name, uh, being someone who's close to him, and, and knowing that um, Doug and you can if you go back to the annals of uh, um, Barf Blog, you can see Doug and Bill's battles over time. Um, they haven't always gotten along, but it's uh, it, it was just sort of a, a very kind and, and sweet gesture um, from Bill uh, to do that. So. Yeah, and then and then he announced via Twitter that that there was an additional five thousand dollar match. Um, which he neglected to inform. He, I guess he figured by tweeting it out that that had informed everybody. That's the official, um, but it, official but it, word. But it came as a complete shock to both Gary Acuff and David Tharp when I mentioned to them that they, were, they had done this. Um, so I don't know exactly how that's going to work because we also have this ongoing match uh, to, 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 for Fred, for Fred from Fred Weber. Um, so I'm not exactly sure uh, how that all is going to work, but I'm sure they'll all get it sorted out uh, next week when everybody has a little bit of time to breathe and catch up on emails. So, so, but thanks, yeah, thanks to, thanks to Bill for doing that. And, and also, Bill's donation was specifically in support of international travel scholarships, which is, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about in IAFP is the I in IAFP. And for a while, we were truly international because we had some Canadians, right? But that was it. And, and we've... And but we've we all and, moved and, here. Yeah. <laughs> we all well, live here yeah, now. God, yeah. Yeah, damn it, damn it. <laughs> um, but um, we actually now are well and truly international. And I also want to say uh, on the subject of being international, we've tried for a long Long time to get somebody on the board who is well and truly international and not just Canadian, because honestly, right, not no, really. You don't have to um, say anymore. Uh, but but Roger Cook is in the audience. Uh, Roger Cook from uh, New Zealand is a board member um, and well and truly international, uh, and has to come on very very long flights to get here <laughs> yeah. overseas. Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yes. Um, so all right, I want to I want to change subjects a little bit because, like I said, I did some. Uh, a little bit of preparation for this. So one of the things that I've heard th differently this year than I had not heard in the past is as I'm meeting people that listen to the podcast, um, I, I've, there are a couple of students who had mentioned this last year, but I've literally talked to like 15 people now who said that they listen to our podcast for one reason. I thought you were going to say they listened to our podcast for one episode, one episode. No. and they didn't want to no. listen anymore well, after that. Yeah, and that's it. No, but the re do you know what the reason is? You want to you want to guess? It's not. It's they not have our a, charm. They have a boring commute. They do not. Well, maybe they have a boring commute. No, it uh, it seems like they're studying for qualifying exams, and we are providing some sort of yeah. No, I I I, I can't. I will describe your face uh, to the listeners, people who are not in the room. There's a lot of like contortions that yeah, you're it's, making. It's a, it's a puzzled it's face. A puzzled Puzzle face. face, yeah, um, you, yeah, yeah, yes, Laura, Laura did start that trend. Um, it, uh, ben, ben, don't talk to the audience. Okay, I can't. But yeah, it's, don't break that. <laughs> you can break that you, fourth you, wall. You can reference the audience, but don't talk to the audience because they're not on mic. No, that's I mean, true, that's true. you know, she wants to come up and get a microphone, yeah, yeah. and you can talk to her. Right, we'll we'll invite her up. Um, it's all about the audio quality. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the the studying things like intriguing to me because um, I think you know. I think about what I think we talk about, 
and I don't know if it's good, if we're a good study podcast. And, and I think I'm very flattered by it, but I wanted to, I want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that, that we, that that's a, that yeah, not, not to say don't listen to us if you're studying, but uh, yeah, I, well, I never really well, thought about it. I mean, don't listen to us while you're studying. I don't understand that. You can listen to us as a way of studying. You know, and I, I've been thinking about this because I, I have discovered I really like podcasts. That's part of the reason why I listen to them and why I do one. Um, but I think in large measure, I may be an audio learner. And I've not done any official tests to know this. Um, but I do, I do absorb things differently depending upon whether I'm listening, whether I'm watching, um, and, and you know, and, and if you see me in the sessions here, um, usually my laptop is open, much as it is now, um, and I'm listening to the speaker, and I'm probably writing an email. Um, but but I find that because of that way, my my the audio, my ears are connected to my brain. Um, I can sort of half listen, and then if something important happens, you know, uh, in, in what's going on in the audio stream, pay attention and uh, and deal with that. But I really think, and I wish, I wish when I was a when I was a, a undergrad or a grad student, um, I wish I had. Uh, what, I guess we sort of did have tape technology back then, but it would have been, I think, very helpful for me to have while I was walking to class to have replayed lectures in my head mm. as a way of getting information. Because I do, I do do a pretty good job of absorbing information that way. Whether it's listening to a podcast while walking the dog, or or driving to work, or what, doing the dishes, cleaning the kitchen, what what have you. So, so yeah, so, but, point, yeah. But, I, but I mean, but really, yeah. like the content here is, I, I, uh, I mean, maybe it's a good way to keep up with what's going on. I can't, I don't, I don't want to say don't listen as a way of studying, but there's probably a more efficient way. Maybe do I, other things too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I, I would be, I honestly, I would be interested in learning more about the people that are doing that. Well, and, and so I thought about my qualifying comprehensive exam experiences and, you know, depending on where you are, they're all called kind of, kind of the same, but a little bit different and they're called different things. I, I remember, um, I did terribly on, on them. <laughs> uh, in so much so that I like, remember saying to one of my committee members like at the end and this is you know I, I went to went to the University of Guelph and I'll give you my like how it went for me I had a um, written uh, five question open book exam for my uh, committee members uh, that I had two weeks to, to finish and then I had a week off after I turned those in and then I had a conversation with them about it that's what it was kind of like um, billed as the conversation took all day like we stopped for lunch and then came back and I remember um, not doing super well at the uh, at the statistics and math part of my uh, my comprehensive exam and like walking back to my um, to my building with someone who was on my committee just being like uh, I'm really I'm really sorry <laughs> like I just felt felt terrible about it and um, the advice that, that she gave me was, uh, I think you didn't look at the big picture enough. And so like, maybe that's what, what we mm -hmm. do in a, in a different way, um, than what I was kind of missing. Like, as I was sort of thinking about these, these conversations with, with students that I've had over the last couple of days, I was like, maybe that's what it's about. It's like sort of placing the nuances of the, um, of the of the data and of the intricacies of, of food safety into like a bigger context because we we have different perspectives on it and I never like I mean 
that's kind of what we set out to do, but not yeah. like, but yeah, but it was like, oh, I guess, you know, it, 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 it's important to get those like big picture stuff, not drilled right down in those comprehensive or qualifying exam uh, situations. Yeah, well, and, and so for sure, I would say listening to a podcast and hearing people talk about, about food safety would be important for, in preparation maybe for an oral qualifying exam, but, this was, but is this, was this for a written exam? Both. Both. So the answer, sorry, I'm, I just, I, the rule, I made the rule to not talk to you the just, audience and the I just rule did. That, yeah. Um, whatever. Drink. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take a small sip of my little tiny bit of bourbon on an empty stomach, no lunch. Yeah, um, yeah, right, right, right. Mm. But, I, you know, it, it's interesting. So I think about the qualifying exam um, at Rutgers for, for PhD students, and I'm not sure the, po the podcast might help you with my question. Yeah. But it's probably not going to help you with the other questions. But then again, there's questions on nutrition and biochemistry and sensory evaluation. Um, and sh for sure, it would not have helped me with uh, much with the qualifying exam uh, that I took at UGA. That the written qualifier at UGA was across all the areas of food science. And so what we did to study for that was we took all of our notes from all of our classes and like retranscribed them. And we and we had parties where we would sit together with other people. Not parties, but we had <laughs> sessions where we would sit together with other people and and transcribe our notes. And um, and and that that I guess it worked okay. I think I passed on on the on the first try. So, but I'm curious now. What did you do to remediate the deficiency? in statistics um oh i mean like literally nothing i just like still have that deficiency is that what you mean they gave you a phd though yeah they, they didn't say well okay now we want you to go write a paper no they um, made me you know, um or no they they didn't but what they what they did say was we want you to go audit um a statistics class and then when it comes to your your final oral def or oral defense um we're, know that you have this deficiency and we're gonna ask you a lot of questions about it. Um, oh, so, so you so you didn't remediate it then at yeah, the final? Yeah, but but I mean, truthfully, just just to pass. And then I now now what I do is I lean on people that know statistics to help me and do the statistics. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, and I really, uh, you know, so so as I, I think I mentioned on the podcast, and I'll mention again now, I'm graduate program director in food science, and I really I really think what we should do um, is get rid of all the exams and get rid of all the courses and then you should just come and do research for for four, for three years or five years and then you should just have to defend that research in front of the committee. Like all of the other stuff is, as far as I'm concerned, nonsense because really what you should do is do what it is that we all do, which is research. I mean, to actually sit down and take a test, like when was the last time that you, that you took a test for anything? I mean, I suppose if you want to be the intentional adulteration um, you know, instructor yes. for, for preventive controls, like, or for the, the FISMA, you would, you would do that. But I mean, it's, it's such a, well, and yeah, it's, it's such an archaic way of measuring knowledge. Like, I don't, I don't really care, um, you know, what you can regurgitate on a test. So we, we do, we do have audience members leaving, but they, but yeah. they assured me that they were in advance, that they were going to leave only because they had to catch a flight. So, uh, so, so do anybody else realize that, you know, it's not like, not because it's, we're doing a bad job, right? Yeah. And it's okay if you need, if you need to leave. It's, yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's totally okay to leave. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think the last time I took a test was for um, hockey coaching training, and and even oh. that was like a, you know, uh, 
view these modules and then here's a test afterwards and, and you can easily game the system. Yeah, well actually that's, yeah, so <laughs> that reminds me. Um, so I've taken, I've taken tests as I'm uh, not, not anymore, but I used to be a Boy Scout leader and we would, we would take uh, tests for youth protection. Uh, we're work, we, we have high school students in my lab and so we did a, a, a similar kind of a thing um, for the high school students, you know, again, youth protection. Um, uh, and so, yeah, you watch a videotape and you, you try to click the right answer you know, having half listened, watched the, the videotape. So, or the, what videotape? It's not a videotape. videotape it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a movie on your computer. <laughs> <laughs> computer but, movie. Yeah, computer movie. That's the technical yeah. term. <laughs> I need another, need another bourbon. Oh. So, um, so, so how much, so speaking of bourbon, how much do we need to save for the game? Uh, we don't, uh, we're still going to do the game. We'll, I'm just going to have to come up with a different prize. Because the prize was how much bourbon was left over. Someone gets to take it home. Oh, well, But no, I didn't we expect should, oh, that okay. we'd have like 20 people here. I should have brought more bourbon. I didn't plan well, um, but uh, but we'll, we'll tell you what the winner gets gets a, a, almost you know a giant stack of red solo cups. Yeah, 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 and may, and and some yeah whatever whatever's remaining. Um, so other other cool things that I uh, wanted us to chat about um, was one of the things that I really really like about IAFP is that I I get to hear all about. Don's, Don's over my shoulder looking at my notes. Um, uh, I get to hear all about the, like, backstory and, and stuff that's not publicly reported about outbreaks and incidents. And I, I want to, I love that because, you know, stuff that, that you hear about, um, you know, that we read about, whether it's in the popular press or in official reports, isn't always the full story. I mean, that's something that, that you and I are, are constantly um, talking about on, on the podcast of like, hey, if anybody's got any information or wanna, wants to weigh in on this. And so I, I, won't, I won't go into too many specifics to out individuals because that's, you know, we got to keep protect the innocent. Um, but just hearing about how suppliers of food, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be real careful on this, to people who buy food. Do I need a whiteboard for this? I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure that you have not identified anyone Anybody. specifically yeah. by naming buyers and sellers. Buyers of food. and sellers of food, and how those buyers and sell, how sometimes sellers of, buyers of food who have to recall food items that they purchase from someone end up with a, a real hard time from the people that sold them food that was adulterated. And I, I didn't know I was with a, a group of individuals who all buy the same types of foods for the same types of businesses. And they all had the same story about the same company that supplied them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and this is kind of like, I think we talked about this. This was talked about uh, after the Peanut Corporation of America recall. Like there were people in the food industry that knew, like, not exactly what they were doing, but that knew that they were bad actors and then just refused to buy from them. And there were other people that didn't know that. And, and that's, that's not good, right? Like, and of course, eventually, in the, in, in the end, they got, they got uh, revealed and they got punished and the, the, they're in jail, which is a good thing. But, but yeah, and, and then maybe the reportable food registry does a, is doing a better job with because that's a relatively new thing yep. to, to kind of share that information within the industry. But it's, uh, but yeah, it's 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 fascinating. And yeah, and I think that's that's the kind of the beauty of this of this meeting, right? Like you're you've got these colleagues who are having similar experiences, and you might not call them up 
during the event because you're competitors. But when you're all standing around at a PDG or you're all standing around at a session and, and you know, someone, someone drops something out about like, oh, this is how this company dealt with us and refused to like, you know, pay for, um, for the recall and didn't know how this worked and they're truthfully a bad actor to deal with. And then you've got four other people like, yeah, we all have the, that same thing. And then they start talking about like other people that they are now sharing information. I, I thought about the, the PCA example exactly when, when these conversations were happening where it was like, you know, this is the, this right here is the transfer of information where someone who didn't know that this person, this group was maybe not the best to deal with is now getting some information. And it doesn't, um, it's it's not about like, um, uh, you know, um, ousting people from the marketplace. It's just like here are some questions you should ask them that we asked and didn't really like the answers that that we got. And so I, I it's very I don't know heartening or something when you're standing around and you know the, one of the things that Don and I we don't buy or sell anything like we're just kind of commentators on the outside of this this whole world. Um, but when you've got people that are making real like million dollar decisions about it and then just seeing them, seeing those connections happen and be like, oh, hey, we could maybe change how we're approaching this, this one supplier, one category. It's really, it's heartening. It's, it's very cool. Well, and, and speaking, speaking of meeting people and getting your mind changed. Um, so I had a really nice chat with the person in charge of food safety for Chipotle. Uh -huh. um, and so I'm going to start eating at Chipotle again. Um, and also apparently, um, she's given a bunch of coupons for free food. Um, she was supposed to give them to you. Um, but she gave them instead to somebody else that was thought that they would see me at karaoke last night and they didn't. So, so I, um, I can easily be bought off. So, I'm, <laughs> so, so I want the record to clearly show, uh, that I am, I have not yet been back to Chipotle, but after, and in all seriousness, having had a conversation about the things that they're doing, um, to manage food safety, I am, uh, much more relaxed and much more confident about going back there. So, so that's my, my intention and we'll link to chipotle.com in the, in the show notes. My intention is to go back there. So, 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 so here's that, you know, yeah. that, Someone, Minds can be changed. Someone mentioned to me, and I can't remember if this was if it was here or somewhere else. But someone who's a listener suggested, and if the listeners like hearing this, then please like send send feedback on this. Suggested that you and I go like on location to a Chipotle and eat and record a podcast and like yes, <laughs> and and I we should do this. Well, and and, the, and let let's not reveal the individual. Yeah. But the, the person the person who who suggested this is actually a person who is one of those suppliers of people to people that buy food. That's what. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, somewhere in that chain of things of, of of things, right? Yeah. So I would I think that would be I I would love to do that. And and I think that's. Um, <laughs> but now you understand that I live in New Jersey and, and I, oh, but I'm we're, coming we're, to Jersey. Going, well, and we're going and to Seattle. We're going to Seattle. So, uh, so yeah, uh, you know, listeners connect us to with people that can get us into a Chipotle to eat and then record a podcast, even with a lot of background noise. We'll, we'll do, we'll do something on location. Um, so, oh, very cool. Um, we, uh, we have some, we have some feedback that was kind of it of the stuff that from, um, well, I mean, there are a couple other things I want to throw in from from the meeting, but that was kind of it on sort of my my starting start my starting lob to you on things to to talk about. Well, yeah, and and of course, um, I've been putting stuff in the in the Dropbox, but I'm I, you know, I, I'm I'm up for whatever. Okay, I got something for you then. Let's do it. What do you think about um, licking ice cream? Um, and I'm going to be very 
I'm going to I'm going to make that a very general question and then I'm going to give you a specific situation. Okay. Um, um well, so what do you think about first when, of all licking ice cream? When when I have an ice cream cone, I will often lick it and it, it is a nice way to ingest a little bit of ice cream. So, I am pro generally speaking, absent any other context, I am pro licking of ice cream. Okay. So, what it, and I'm going to I'm going to throw a twist on this now. What if you went to a grocery store and peeled the lid off an ice cream container and then licked it and then took a video of that and put it on social media and then put that uh, tub back in the grocery store uh, aisle? Would uh, are you pro? Are you into that? Uh, you know, <laughs> Ben. Kids, kids these days are just so annoying. Um, yeah, that's not a good thing. That's no. not a good thing. But. I mean, you have to ask the and you know maybe this is where you're going with this. Um, that's not a good thing, um, and but but that is the kind of thing that you do when you're a stupid kid, right? Yeah. And and that person um, probably knows they did a bad thing, um, and uh, you know, but but uh, should they go to jail? No. Um, should they be fined some money that's appropriate? Yes. But um, yeah, and I, you know the other. The other interesting angle to this, I was talking with somebody um, who is not in the room, who is a, uh, a food safety person for a chain of stores that sells ice cream. Okay, okay. And they shared with me that this particular company, this particular size ice cream and this particular company, um, you know, when you buy an ice cream, um, there is often a, uh, there, there's the container and then there's the ice cream in the container and then there's a plastic overseal, and then there's a lid, a, a cardboard lid on top of that. And this particular ice cream was one without the plastic seal in that particular size of ice cream. And so um, when it was suggested to the company that they ought to now initiate some sort of a tamper-proof plastic peel-off lid, they said, yeah, no, it's, it's too expensive. We're not going to do that. Um, so that's, that's probably not a good decision, right? And I mean, and honestly, I would, if I was a buyer of that kind of ice cream, I would stop buying ice cream. In fact, it, it, even, it even worries me a little bit, and this just shows the way my brain works, it even worries me a little bit when I go and I buy shampoo or toothpaste or something, and there's not some sort of secondary barrier. So, and again, you know, you like to think the best of people, but there are bad actors out there. And, I, and actually, as part of this whole discussion, I had, a, again, I had a subsequent conversation with the, this person at the store that sells ice cream to people and other things about all of the consumer complaints that they deal with and the stuff that people do. People will go and they'll buy a thing and they'll take the thing out and they'll put, put they'll put the rocks back in the package and they'll take the package back to get their money back from the store. I mean, you know, just all kind and this, and this and I, it boggled my mind that this person was saying that they deal with this like this is a huge amount of his life is dealing with the stores that that have these kind of complaints it blew my mind i had no idea that that was such a big issue and and i mean god bless him for doing the job that he does but i sure as heck wouldn't want that job yeah well and think about the resource time that's that's dedicated to that right so and and that was you know where i kind of wanted to go with this um was i don't i don't really pay attention i guess too much or i hadn't paid attention too much on when we when we purchase ice cream what that how how many of the tubs that we get have the the film on it i don't i can't think all of them do i did notice um 
uh, you know, plug to uh, the uh, makers of Hagen dazs I think it's, I believe it's Nestle. Uh, in the uh, I've eaten a they're lot. not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. No, I've eaten a lot of ice cream this week uh, in on the exhibit hall floor. Um, like a lot of ice cream. Like almost. I mean, I've almost just eaten ice cream this week. Uh, <laughs> Um, and uh, and the the little you know individual cups that they make that that are you know supplied to us uh, through their sponsorship uh, as part of this this meeting all have the the film on it and I never like I literally never thought of it um, before and you know it's one of these things that you I, you probably remove all the time and and don't don't think about it but then it got me thinking about the tubs that that I do eat and I was like I don't know I mean I'll have to um, think more about it but you, you bring up a really like key point of. Without having those, um, you, with having suppliers that that don't have those barriers involved, now someone who's doing food safety and quality assurance, I'm sure, um, is dedicating their resources to something that, if if all suppliers were were doing that, they would be able to focus on other things that are really about like you maybe focus on other risks or more risky things or whatever. Yeah. All, all I want to do, so everybody who's here in the room has, has been to this conference probably for many years. For those who are listening who are, as I call them, normal people mm. um, uh, uh, that are not coming to food safety conferences, um, IAFP, the meeting that we're at, the International Association for Food Protection, used to be called IAMFIS, which is the International Association of Milk, Food, and Environmental Sanitarians. And so the roots of this organization are in dairy products. And we have had a culture in this organization uh, on the, the expo floor um, where we have exhibitors, you know, selling food safety solutions and all kinds of stuff. We always have coolers with some sort of ice cream, whether it's ice cream sandwiches or, you know, fudgesicles or, or in this case it was little uh, Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice cream things. Um, this has been a, a staple of this conference for, for many, many years. And so this is not true of all food safety conferences. It is only true of this food safety conference. And I think it's really a result of the, the history of the association. So thanks, thanks to all those people that make ice cream and other dairy products. And there was milk. You could go and buy a container of delicious cold milk. If could, you are, not buy, you buy get it. free, yeah. free a container of cold milk. Um, so uh, yeah, so so that's 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 our roots and that's our history. So um, I don't know why I wanted to tell that to the normal people that listen, but I think it's important context for why we eat ice cream at this conference. I, that's this is very that was good. Uh, I will add uh, add to your comment with. Uh, other context for uh, the normals that, that listen to us about how my wife views this meeting, which is probably maybe a little bit different than how um, you know, other spouses uh, or partners who are um, here uh, at this meeting. She, my wife, came to IAFP one time when I was a graduate student. Um, it was when uh, it was in Orlando, and I gave a talk, and she came. It's probably the first time that she'd ever, and not not the last time, but one of the last times uh, that she's ever uh, seen me present anything. And uh, the three uh, people before me in the session talked about carcass washing. And I don't know anything about carcass washing, um, but I, that's where, where my, my uh, material was placed by the program committee. And she, to this day, 10 years later, refers to IAFP as the carcass ball. <laughs> and so uh, when I say, um, oh, yeah, I got to go to IAFP that week, yeah, uh, you know, I'll, be, I'll be away. And she goes, oh. Back to your friends at the Carcass Ball. <laughs> well, let, let the record show, as dedicated listeners will know, she also referred to all y'all, which is a Southern thing, as, as shut-ins. And, and I'm pretty sure that if, you, if, 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 if any of y'all were shut-ins, you wouldn't be here. So, yeah. so take that, Danny. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, 
She's a gem. She's a gem. She's a keeper, I think. She's a keeper. Yeah, she does. She does a good job. She uh, she keeps me uh, from taking myself too seriously. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, conferences, um, there was uh, something came through on on the Twitter to us uh, a couple of days ago um, about um, a donut wall at conferences. I hadn't seen this. I don't know what the uh, what the history is, um, but it was it was tagged. You were tagged saying, yep. please tell me this will be covered in the next food safety talk. So tell us about the donut wall at so, conferences. Yeah, so I, um, I I will I will find the details in just a minute. Um, but let me let me talk about this. So, um, you know, because you and I have a reputation, Ben, of being food safety people, uh, people feel compelled to involve us in their uh, Twitter conversations. And so some of them are very prolific in, in tagging us on things. And so what this was, this was at a conference, and it was literally as you described. So imagine imagine a wall with little pegs that, that are probably um, the, the length of two or three donuts tall, sticking, sticking out, um, I'm, I'm using my hands here, sticking out from the wall, and on those pegs are hung donuts, all different kinds of donuts. And so the idea was that you could just, if you were, if you wanted a donut. <laughs> it sounds like the you, best conference. You could just walk by. This was not a food safety conference. I, I Again, I will get the context in a minute. But you could walk by this wall and pick up a donut. And I guess theoretically you could pick up a donut and say, well, you know, I don't like that one as good as this one. And, and you could put the donut back and pick up a different donut. Hell, you could pick up a donut, take a bite, and say, I don't like that, and put it back on the wall. Back so, on the um, or you could you could go to pick up a donut off the wall, knock another donut off the the not, it wasn't even a hook off the off the holder. It could fall on the floor. You could pick it up off the floor within five seconds or not. Um, <laughs> five seconds. See, see my talk here at IFE um, and hang it back up on the wall. So, so um, I just thought it was a bad idea, um, but you know, and then, but then, you know, again, as at, so, Twitter seems to be all about pointing out people that they're wrong, um, and so people pointed out to me that, well, you know, donuts are not a potentially hazardous food, and it's low risk, and and it's like oh, that's fine, and so I ended up saying, you know, if you want to eat donuts off a wall, <laughs> go for it. I'm not going to have any donuts off a wall. I I'm I don't like, even like donuts that much. You'd probably like donuts more than I do. But, I love uh, yeah. I mean, I love donuts. Um, love donuts and ice cream. That's I mean that's what I came here for. Uh, uh, and we're almost out of ice cream, so I, don't, um, uh, I I like Twitter search donut wall, and there's like donut walls like a thing, like like people have donut walls at weddings, and there's a bunch of Instagram pictures of donut walls. Um, I I'm not I'm I'm not anti donut wall. <laughs> I see the risks, but is it is it that much? Is the risk that much different from just having a bunch of like donuts on a table, like 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 I have you know people can do the same thing and take a bite and, and put it back. They could drop it on on the floor. Are you concerned about the angle of the wall and that it can it might lead to more falling of donuts? You know what it is. If there's donuts on a table, typically if there's donuts on a table, honestly these as we saw because we all were were eating in buffets all week. Uh, if there were donuts on a table, um, you would probably have tongs. You would have donut tongs to get a donut. Okay. Whether you use them or not, that's up yeah, to yeah. you. But um, I, it just seems precarious and likely to introduce more problems and cross-contamination than, let's say, donuts on a table. Now, that said, I understand why you have donuts on a wall, right? It's a very visually interesting thing, um, way more interesting than donuts on a table. But, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, anyway, so my, my original response... Um, 
on, on Twitter was every conference should have a donut wall and no one should eat them. And then I later redacted that or rescinded that to say, you know, you can eat donuts if you want. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you can, if you want to eat wall donuts, go for it. I'm, I'm not going to have any. <laughs> Do you know, um, I just sent you a, a listing on uh, Amazon Prime Handmade. Uh, and you can buy a wedding donut wall, donut stand for a wedding, donut holder, donut display, donut bar, donut bars. There's a, like, I mean, we get all the donuts, donuts all the way down uh, for $85 and get a, get yourself a donut wall. No it's donuts kind of, included. No donuts. Yeah, you supply the donuts. You, <laughs> I, th and this is what this is what Twitter and food safety talk is for 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 me, where I'm just learning about things that I didn't even uh, I didn't even know about. But I get your talk. Learning about things you didn't even know you wanted. I didn't even know. I just put it on my wish list. Um, uh, but I, I, your your Tong's comments a good uh, a well well taken point. Um, so I, uh, I I'm with you. I gotcha. Um. Uh, what else? What else we got going on? Uh, people are trying to uh, scam um, academics' uh, emails. Uh, we, uh, you know, um, doing some phishing from department heads' oh, names. Yes. Yeah, we haven't haven't talked about this, but uh, um, the the esteemed uh, Linda J. Harris uh, was was fished, and I, I also had this from my. Uh, um, my department had no one like to do the public service announcement on on these uh, situations. So this is this is not about this. We talked about this. Did on we a, talk about uh, the last yeah. One? Remember, it was a cold open. Never mind. Um, yeah. Right where we'll, we're we'll edit that out. So fix that in post. <laughs> uh, anyway, I saw another one from my department head that included oh. her picture and her entire bio from her web from our like faculty website. That was nominally from her. From asking, her. asking you to go buy cards, gift cards yep. with money. Yeah, and so. I don't usually receive emails with people's picture, own pictures in them, as like a like a big a big picture. I'll have to start. <laughs> <laughs> please do, please do. Um, we have a little bit of feedback. We want to talk about um, a question from Deep Muffin. Uh, <laughs> So uh, Deep Muffin writes us, uh, my family eats English muffins regularly. Oh, yes, this is good. This is a good one. My kid usually prefers them at room temperature, straight from the package. We buy the ones in the bread aisle, not in the refrigerated section. I'm intrigued by the label on them that says, quote, must split and toast with an exclamation mark. That certainly impacts the quality, but is, all, but is it also a safety issue? There's no mention in the frequently asked questions on the brand's website. They don't specifically, they don't specify a target temperature. Is a minute in the toaster really going to inactivate something bad? Um, and so, and so this, this, is a, this is a good question. Yeah, so, so no, a minute in the toaster is not going to inactivate something bad, probably. See, see uh, our earlier uh, paper presented today on, 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 on cooking flour in an oven. It might take longer. Um, but... That's just bad information on that on that that muffin package, right? Like that's not that 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 information is not um, not based on food safety. I don't know. I mean, and it's it's weird, right? Like that you you must split and toast. Must split I guess and toast. because if you don't, the quality is not good. But but it just it just seems kind of it, it seems kind of needlessly alarmist for a food quality issue. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, and, and very, but but is it now, I think about these quality um, messages, and is it maybe that just an untoasted English muffin is like, is just terrible? They're, they're, yeah. I've had an untoasted English muffin, they're yeah. terrible. So right? it's, it's kind of yeah. like, okay, don't, don't like ruin our, our product by just not toasting it and eating this like flaccid, like grainy um, English muffin. I don't. I don't. I like English muffins. We don't. I'm similar to you. I don't, we just don't. We don't eat them very much um, anymore. But I. I wouldn't. I don't want a like soft one. 
I want a, I want a toasty one. So, so do you think we should open up to, uh, to audience uh, participation? I think we should. I think we should. I th so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll break the, f the fourth wall here and, and say, anybody, we've got, we got about 18 people in here. If anybody would like to uh, um, join us on mic, we'd love to hear uh, from you. Uh, um, and uh, we'll ask you a couple of questions. And, so, so and yeah. you can you can you can identify yourself, uh, or you can identify yourself with a code name. Uh, but just the way that this is going to work is just come up and sit in a chair. And if nobody comes and sits in the chairs, uh, Ben and I will keep talking. And and you get a sticker. Hey, so so while we're waiting for somebody to come up, uh, I want to. Uh, oh, somebody needs going to come up and maybe get some more bourbon first. Um, so yeah. uh, I, so this. I this information uh, comes from a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Billy Mitchell. Um, and uh, Billy says, I hope IAFP is going well. Looking forward to your insight into this. From an FDA email in update about the investigation of the multi-state outbreak of Salmonella Uganda illnesses linked to Cavi brand whole fresh papayas, quote, the FDA has asked Agrisons LLC, the exclusive distributor of this brand, to conduct a voluntary recall of Cavi brand papayas. Agrisons LLC refused to initiate a recall. In your experience, what are the pros and cons of a supplier refusing to initiate a voluntary recall? Ben, your thoughts. I think it's a really bad idea. Um, I mean, and and I, this is this is one of these uh, situations where when um, we I think about some of the nuances of things that I hear at at IAFP and not maybe knowing everything that's that's going on behind the scenes um, with with certain individuals that I that I know that I that I think do a really good job on food safety where there may be some pushback on size of recall, scope of recall, exactly what they're what they're gonna do. Um, I you, you, it, it's hard to give sort of a blanket statement of like ah, it's a bad idea, but I think I'm gonna give the blanket statement of it's a, if it's a bad idea. It's a pretty bad um, idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless I, unless you really know something that you know the FDA does not know, but hey, then you tell the FDA that information and then you work with them, right? They're, they're, they're there to work with you. Yeah, and, and I think it's like, this one's a bit of a, in, you know, an interesting um, political situation as well. Um, if, I'm, and if I'm remembering this correctly, I think the, um, these papayas, and I'll, I'm gonna totally go off the board. Don, are these papayas that were imported from Mexico? Uh, from a specific region in Mexico that um, has been linked to outbreaks in the past. I think that's the case. Yeah, I'm um, not sure. Yeah, and so, um, uh, and, and I, I, I think that when you get into some of these um, uh, cross-border um, situations, yeah, um, you end up with some trade issues. And, and, and so the announcing of a recall may lead to, oh, we're gonna recall everything from this region. And so they may have been advised from the company that supplied them, and not, you know, this is from the, um, you know, the, it's really about the importer, but there may be some stuff behind the scenes on, on trade on this. Yeah, so, so we'll, link to, we'll link to the um, uh, Marler's blog um, on this, but also there's an article from the Packer. And of course I went to the Packer because it's gonna be more on the, the, the industry perspective. And so let me read to you um, what, uh, what the um, 
lawyer for the company said. Um, let's see here. Um, no Cavi brand papayas have tested positive for pathogens, said Scott Davidson, a trade consultant with the Miami-based Davidson's Law Group, which has Agrisons as a client. He said the July 19 update is a punishment for refusing to recall, quote, clean product. Since the agency has found not found any trace of salmonella, Agrisons should not be expected to issue a recall, Davidson said in an email. We have confidence in FDA sampling practices and trust the FDA's lab technicians are reporting accurate results. Since FDA's lab technicians have not identified any health threat in Cavi brand papayas, we don't see any valid reason for issuing a voluntary recall. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, right? Like, I think they were linked. If, the, if we're looking at the same stuff, a July 7th uh, Packer uh, um, uh, article, they're linked to 71 cases of salmonella, Uganda, from epidemiology. So, so what we have here is, like, an argument of, like, well, yeah, but you didn't find it in the product. Um, but epidemiology trumps that for me, um, you know, every day. Yeah, we, exactly. I mean, this is, this is the reason. And now, and of course, epidemiology can be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. see, uh, see the Salmonella St. Paul, uh, which was originally tagged as tomatoes, um, but in fact was not. And again, I've had conversations with, with noted epidemiologist Craig Hedberg on this, and he said, yeah, the epi on the tomatoes was actually weak. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, uh, yeah, and just, again, it's, just, it's just, just because, and of course, a recall is, by its very nature, is going to be conservative. You're going to recall product that is not does not contain salmonella, but you do it as in protection of public health. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I understand their logic, but I, I just don't agree with it. You have to respect the epidemiology. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, we got, we have a guest, Don. Um, I see that. And for 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 OBSEC uh, reasons, you know, we we always give the uh, the guests the option to uh, give themselves a, their own name, uh, or they can use their their real and true name. Uh, but, but what we don't have is we don't have one of those screens, so we can only see your profile, um, and we have no way to scramble your voice. So right, first right. of all, you're outed to everyone here in the room, and anybody who has a distinguishing, unique voice, anybody who's listening can probably figure out who you are. So unless you want to, maybe you want to adopt a Getty Lee style uh, uh, vocal <laughs> vocal pattern. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think I'm that adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric Moore with Testo, and uh, I've I've known Ben for for quite a while, and uh, Don and I have, have uh, had a couple a uh, couple of chats now and then, um, and this just seemed fun. So right, so good. good. So yeah. so, do you have any questions for us? Would you like us to ask you questions? Fire away. I would. So I would so say. so tell us tell us what. As a food safety professional, tell us what keeps you up at night. Ooh, I would say... Or maybe you sleep like a baby. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, I would say, you know, lack of leadership support for industry professionals, like, you know, a lot of the people that attend this conference, right? Um, you know, you, you hear individuals that are highly supported, you know, and they, and they do a great job of vocalizing that. And um, they, you know, some of them have spoken over the last couple of days. Um, but I think that is not common enough, um, mainly because uh, it's, it's hard to justify not having to pay hospital bills, right? And because when you look at it from a risk mitigation or, or liability perspective, 
um, it seems like Bill Marler always comes into into that discussion. You know, it, it's hard to quantify when we're doing our jobs, right? As a food safety professional, you know, you don't you don't get to say, oh, well, I saved ten thousand people last year, right? right? right. Um, so it's that's where I think that there, if we could, as an industry, garner more support from you know the C-suite levels across you know, the food supply system that we would see a dramatic change in, you know, whether it's the reported numbers or suspected reported numbers of, you know, global foodborne illness or even just in the U.S. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's a really um, good comment. And I, I think if I think back to my uh, experience experiences here at IAFP and in other food safety meetings, it's really is really interesting and striking to hear some of the the really positive experiences. And you know, I, I can think of it, it's not a handful; it's it's a bunch of, of companies where it's like, oh, I have I have lots of support. Whatever I need to fix whatever whatever I do, and and typically those are ones. You know, people are telling their stories here on stage, um, in symposiums or in, in other you know, roundtables. But um, but what we what we don't hear from so much, and you know, I think there's there's an obvious reason why. But the individuals who are who are struggling to um, get that resource um, resource respect, I guess. Um, and and what and what strategies that, that you know that they're that they're trying and 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 you know what what's not working. I remember being at um, a session a few years ago where after my 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 talk, um, someone from a retailer came up and said um, I was able to convince our you know CFO that focusing on hand washing um, in delis was really really important. And then, the, and and so I was able to get a, a chunk of money to to do training, and to uh, you know create a, a campaign. You know all the, all the things that, that that you want someone to, to be able to do and, and focus on, um, and so that that money was you know was sitting there. There was in process, and then someone, uh, the CEO, did a store visit and noticed that like two uh, individuals out of five who were in the deli weren't wearing hairnets, and was like, I want everybody wearing hairnets. And lost that hand washing budget um, towards uh, a, you know a much a much lower risk situation, and I think that's that's what you're what you're talking about is is sort of that that fickle um, aspect, and that we're in in the food safety world we're trying to demonstrate the lack of something happening and and get um, you know get uh, resources to to support that that success. Yeah, and I, I would actually say you know I think everybody that's at this meeting right is to by and large, I think fortunate, right? So they have a level of, some level of support, right? From their organization or their institution yep. or wherever they're coming from. It's the people that aren't here, right? right? right. They're the ones that have the struggle. And I've, you know, I, I've been there in the, in the past and, you know, you, you, you get into this work because you believe in it, right? And you want, you want to keep food safe and keep people safe and then, but, at the same time, you have these internal struggles within your own organization of being able to actually do your job and do it effectively and do it well. Um, that's that's my my fear, right? And and just trying to trying to help those kind of people is, I think, 
if, if that becomes a non-existent, you know, factor, I think we'll really start to, to, to become better, it, it, you know, as a whole. Right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've shared before on the podcast and I'll share again is it, it's, it, Anytime there's an outbreak or a company I haven't heard of, like, like, like for example, we could take a look at this uh, Agrisons or, or Cavi papayas, see if any of them are members of IAP. I'm guessing the answer is probably no, right? Um, and then, you know, this kind of dovetails nicely with an earlier conversation I've had a couple of times about, well, what's the upper limit for the size of this group, right? Well, clearly, as long as there's still companies out there that are making people sick and causing outbreaks and that are not members of IAP and are not coming to this meeting, I mean, I worry, I worry less... I worry less about people that are members that can't come to the meeting because I understand there's lots of reasons not to be able to not you know travel and, and it's expensive right but but geez you ought to at least belong to the association and keep up with what's going on um, so but I, but I suspect that the, those that are involved in outbreaks uh, you know especially the sort of the mid-level companies um, they don't even have an awareness of what IAFP is or why they should even be a member so we've got we've got lots more room to grow in, in, as far as I think. One of the things, as Eric was talking, that I was thinking about was the um, the importance of of the affiliates to IAFP for for that reason. So yeah, coming coming here um, is you know as, a, as an academic is like a, you know. I don't know, a couple thousand dollar investment that we're able to usually glean from, you know, uh, our grants if we were here to present something or other support. And so it's it's not an insignificant uh, piece. But is, as you're saying, like, you know, m you know, maybe there's three or four individuals from from companies. You magnify this beyond that. You're looking at a ten thousand dollar commitment to come to this meeting. That's a lot. And and the affiliates, we think about affiliates that are across the, the country to have, a, you know, a meeting. Um, maybe it's twenty five dollars or fifty dollars or a or hundred dollars and it's less less travel and and so it's it's one of those things that, that I think that that's a, um, a a way to get people there but you know even maybe they don't even have support to do that um, uh, yeah so yeah, well I mean the travel cost is just I mean it's it that's only half of it right it's the it's the time right because yeah, but, yeah. you know like all the people, and especially the the people in this room, you know, you guys included, you come here. You're you know you're taking your time away from either your job or your role within an organization, right? Um, and if you don't have the support to do that, right, you probably also don't have the infrastructure that would support that, yep. right? The ability to do that, um, and you know, I think that then shows the the lack of awareness or just overarching support of ensuring, you know, that the jobs get done, right? And I, I guess I kind of always go back to, you need support and it can't, it's gotta be a team effort, right? And I've been on an island of one many, many times, you know, in, the, in, in, this, in this industry, in this role um, for, for organizations and it's hard long out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and I'm sure like an uphill battle, right. Where, where yeah. it's, it, it's gotta be a grind that, um, uh, as if you're always trying to fight those battles and you're not getting, not getting, um, support. I wonder like, you know, on this, I don't, I don't know much about the, um, the upper leadership business world, but I, I wonder how how we how we as as an organization or we as a profession get the importance on of food safety to to that world outside of our 
our you know little little community here. Well, and it depends upon the company, right? Yeah. Uh, like I, again, I had a conversation earlier um, with uh, somebody from that's 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 active on a GFSI committee, and he talked about well, you know, um, we have uh, our the people that are on the GFSI board are the the. CEOs of our companies, right? And so clearly those are companies that get it, but those are also big multinational companies, right? And so how do we how do we reach the executives of the, the mid-level mid companies, right? Or regional companies, or, you know, I mean, just to, not to pick on Bluebell, but, you know, Bluebell, for example, right? Like, so what's, what's their uh, involvement in IAFP? What's their involvement um, you know, at you know, in terms of food safety at the, at the CEO level, right? And uh, I, I don't know the answer. Yeah. Um, I have another question for you. So, um, what you know, you uh, I've I've seen you at IAFP a, a bunch of times. You know, probably as long as I can remember. What's the what keeps what keeps bringing you back to this to this meeting? What what is it about um, about this this thing that that happens every year? There's lots of meetings out there. Why do you why do you keep coming back? I didn't know I was going to get tough questions. Come uh, on, man. Tough, tough questions, tough answers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think the just the exposure to so much diverse information, um, you don't get that at any other conference. You, you, really, you really don't. Um, you know, I'm not a microbiologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. But here I can at least go and sit in a session and, and have some awareness or begin to understand the complexity of those roles and jobs and how, and how those individuals go about supporting people like me, right? I'm, I'm a former operations guy, right, that just got into food safety work, mm -hmm. right? And it worked for me and I, I got, I got kind of good at it just basically yelling at people and making them wash their hands, right? <laughs> it, <laughs> right? I, and that's ultimately kind of in a very short, yeah. <laughs> short way to explain it. That's, that's just, I've been fortunate in that regard. Um, but there's science back, you know, that, that's backing all of this stuff, mm -hmm. right? That, that, you know, we, that we learn and we try and educate people on. And, you know, you get to learn about that stuff here. Right, and you get to learn about it here a couple years before you might hear about it, you know, on a regulatory level um, or at another conference, because you know this is the place where you come and, and you and you and you shout from the rooftops, check out what I'm doing, you know, we found out this really cool new stuff, and you know, you just don't get that kind of access anywhere, and it, and it's consistent every every show, year after year after year. It's, pretty remarkable. <laughs> can honest. I answer the question why I keep coming back? Of course. Yeah, you can. So, it's for everybody. Uh, th thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so for me, it is really about the the interstitial space, right? Like, yeah, I go I go to the talks that I'm giving because otherwise they're not going to be very good if I'm if I don't show up, right? Um, I uh, go. Oh, hang on, hang on. Like. <laughs> I, that that seems like uh, I mean your talk might not be very good, but if you weren't there, maybe others could give that talk. No, I'm just it's could it's true. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. it could happen. It could happen. I'm not I'm not irreplaceable. Um, uh, so I go to the talks that that I give. I go. I try to visit all my student posters. I try to visit all my student talks. Um, 
and, I, and if I'm in a symposium, I'm going to sit there for the whole symposium and listen to the other speakers. Um, I listened to you do a wonderful impersonation of Elizabeth Andress. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in, the, in the earlier session. Um, and then other than that, I try to not, I, I gave, not, that's not that I try not to, I gave up. I gave up looking, and I, this is bad advice, but I gave up looking at the program and looking at things I wanted to go to um, because I'll find something to do, right? And because of that, I had a wonderful conversation just before this podcast with a woman from Pew uh, who's doing some work on writing norovirus policy. Um, I, had, I have great conversations in the hallways um, because there's always somebody that you know that you haven't, at least if you've been doing this for as many years as I have, there's always people that that you know that you need to catch up with and talk to about whatever. The other day, um, I helped uh, Gordon Hayburn, who was a guest on the podcast, even though he doesn't listen, I helped him get an autograph in his book. He won a book in the silent auction. And I'm like, oh, he wants to get Bernadette, um, Bernadette from Brazil a uh, signature on the book. It's like, well, I know Gordon. Gordon doesn't know Bernadette. I know Bernadette. Now I get to go introduce Gordon to Bernadette so Gordon can get a signature in his book. Um, and those, and of course that was at a cocktail hour, not not at the session, but, but the, my point is that those those kind of wonderful interactions, right? So, and now, and now, now Gordon has a signature in his book, but also Gordon knows Bernadette, right? And these are two wonderful people in my life that care about food safety, and now they know each other. And so the more that we can do that, the more that we can make those conversations, and, and again, meeting, meeting new people, Talking about what we're passionate about, um, it's, it's amazing. And, and I, you know, I'm, 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 and, and so what I and so if people have messaged me in the app or reached out to me by email, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try to find time to meet with you because this is the only time that we can meet face to face, and so and so I'll do that. And so it's it and it and it, and what I think what kind of what kind of tripped the switch for me was when I joined the board because once you join the board, your time is not your own, um, and you just kind of get comfortable with like, okay, well, I'm going to look at my schedule, I'm going to see where I have to be next, and I'm going to do my best to get there on time if I can, um, and then do what I got to do, and then I'm going to look at my schedule, and I'm going to go do the next thing, and and that's okay, right? Like, it's not like, it, but, but but if I'm constantly looking at like, oh my god, I, I got to be at this talk, and I got to be at that talk, and it's like, mostly I just got to be at the ones that I'm giving. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it's that, that I, I agree with you, and I, and I, I think my my strategy has kind of changed uh, over time as well. It's now for me, I'm I know that all the people that I'm collaborating with or might be collaborating with are here, right? Someone who I might want to do something with, and this is the place that that I I absolutely can can make time, no matter when you know when it is, if it's during a session or not, to go sit down and, and talk about something for. Uh, you know, half an hour or an hour, and then be like, "Oh, hey, this is our foundational conversation on this, and let's catch up more at you know after this time." But it's it's a um, it's a it's a meeting space uh, as well. No bourbon for latecomers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, the the person that just walked in the room and is is now pouring herself a bourbon reminded me of another great thing about this meeting. So I was sitting in the webinar committee meeting on Sunday morning, um, and we realized we needed to grow the 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 committee. And so what I did was I texted a couple of people that were the kind of people we were looking for to be on the committee. And lo and behold, they both responded. And they were both able to make it to the webinar committee meeting by the end of the meeting. And now we've grown the committee by two people, right? And so those kind of things, like the 
that you can do in the spur of the moment if you know people um, or you know people that know people, um, and we can help us get things done. And again, we talked about reaching people that are not at this meeting. Webinars are a great way to do that. And so I, I really am passionate about that. I was passionate about it. Before I joined the board, I was passionate about it when I was on the board, and now I have a chance to continue to, to work with that committee to try to, to grow that repository of information that we essentially give away to our members for free. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, big news on that um, this year that, that, as you said, now there's no need for sponsorship on, on webinars, which is, a, which is a huge barrier. And, and kudos to the foundation and, and to the webinar committee, I, I would imagine, for, uh, for pushing for that. Because um, uh, I, I, we have, I, you know, I believe we have a, a, a duty to, to provide this information when you, when you tack, um, even if it's $25, it, it's a barrier for, for people out there. And, and you know, to Eric's point, I mean, now, now we have to convince someone else to, to pay for it to pay for it now the now we don't have to do that anymore yeah and so and you know and again um, looking around I see uh, I see some you know some some name tags that indicate people are foundation con contributors if you haven't contributed uh, consider yourself shamed to contributing to the foundation um, it's really it's a it's a it's a really it's a really uh, so you have a name tag and a tag uh, and, and a ribbon but the ribbons not on your name tag no I, I don't do that yeah I don't either see it's cool ki cool kids so, so how many ribbons you got none yeah right right <laughs> Yeah, but I'm going to tap a coin. Is that a challenge coin? It's a challenge coin. <laughs> it sounds plastic. It's not. It's metal. It's metal. Uh, this is the uh, 2019 IFP Foundation con contributor coin um, that I will take home and give to my children, and they will try to feed to the dog uh, or throw at each other, but they will be very happy that they have this coin that uh, um, that they will not be able to use in uh, in uh, public as public tender. <laughs> Um, so, Eric, I mean, um, do, you have, do you have any questions for us? We gave you tough questions. No, no. Just keep doing what you're doing is what I say. You know, you guys, you guys do a great job of, of, I think, turning complex, you know, discussions into, you know, into, into conversational jargon. And it's pretty, it's a lot of fun. And Thanks. Just, well, thank you. It was, Thanks. It was nice to, to sit here. I do have to excuse myself. Yeah. Uh, I have another industry board meeting or committee meeting. <laughs> we'll grab some bourbon on your way out. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Eric. So, so again, we'll say we'll repeat. Um, the, basically, the way that this, this works is we got two chairs up here. So, if you want to be on the podcast, come on up. Um, we'll ask you to introduce yourself, and you can you can choose to reveal yourself or not as you see fit. And if honestly, if nobody comes up and sits in those chairs, uh, Ben and I will just keep, just keep talking because well, that's we what we do. We got people coming to the oh, chairs. Here we go. Here we go. We can do a super long and, episode, and, and I and I and I want to say we have we have two chairs, so don't don't feel like if you if you want to be next if you want to be next up you can come and sit in the other chair. So uh, so podcast guest, do you want to introduce yourself, or do you need a moment? <laughs> Uh, my name is Corey. I just graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, I work at FRI under Kathy Glass. Um, and I'm a super big fan, and so I'm kind of freaking all over here. But we're good. We're good. 
so, so I have to give a huge shout out to to Kathy Glass and her lab. Um, they have produced for us the most wonderful and the most um, delightfully embarrassed uh, listeners uh, that I could have ever imagined. So, so thanks, huge shout out to everybody in, in the Kathy Glass Lab, and, and thanks, uh, thanks for listening, uh, and, and also uh, thanks for coming up and, and saying hi. Yeah. Do, do you have any questions for us? Yes, I have two. First is a would you rather. So after listening to your podcast, I've had like a couple things that have stuck out to me, and I want to know, would you rather eat a piece of cake that a kid has blew out his candles or a piece of food that has been on the floor for more than five seconds? What's the food? A piece of cake. <laughs> I didn't yeah, think. That's a, yep. So piece of cake on the floor versus piece of cake with the kid blowing out the birthday candles. Um, well, I was not prepared for this. Um, I, do you want to do a risk assessment? Well, I want, well, I want, I want to do a, I want to do a risk assessment, but I, I don't have time. Um, so, um, can you tell me anything about the kid? <laughs> a good risk assessor always asks for more data. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna answer this. Uh, oh come on! No 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 no. Oh, all right, you go. You answer it, and no, then I'll no, ask no, more just questions. Joking, joking. Okay, you keep keep asking. I don't. So, yeah. So tell me more about the kid. It was the birthday party that Ben was at. Yep. Was Ben the kid? <laughs> no. So how, how old was the kid? Uh, let's say eight. Okay. Um, runny nose? Yeah. I mean, because eight-year-old. Okay. Right? Um, okay. Um, what's on the floor? What's, is it carpeted? Is it tile? My college apartment kitchen floor. Your oh, college oh. apartment kitchen floor. Oh, I was going to answer if, quick. If now is, there's more information. I like okay. This. So... Do you have pets? No, but I have six roommates. Okay. Um, Is it carpeted? You... The kitchen floor? Wood floor. Wood floor. Okay. Wood floor. Um, all right. I'm getting closer to an answer. Um, just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going there. I was going there. Male or female roommates? Female. Okay. Um, would you consider them tidy and fastidious or... You know, use use it use a use a single adjective to describe their their personal habits. Are they clean? Are they clean? Yeah, well, I know they're not clean, but it's mediocre. Me mediocre. Okay. So um, wait, wait. Okay, can I jump in with another question? Do any of them work in like uh, any outside areas? Work around animals? So we have wood floors, so shoes are usually on mm -hmm. in the kitchen, and we have a weekly chore chart, but the kitchen floor only gets swept once a week. Okay. And what day was the cake dropped, and what day was it swept? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't been swept in six days. Okay. Um, is there physical debris on the floor? <laughs> I'll say yes. Okay. I feel like we're playing like a role-playing game now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. exciting. How many how many hit how many hit points do I, do I have? Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm gonna go with the birthday cake that the kid blew the, the candle out on. I th I think that's I think that's a, that's the safe bet. Um, we we know for sure that there's gonna be stuff from him blowing on the cake, but it's more. It's a more and and the kid the kid is not obviously vomiting or diarrhea right he's got a runny nose but you know that's staphylococcus 
I'm good with that. Like it's a low dose, uh, high dose pathogen, and it's not going to grow in the time it takes me to eat the cake. So I'm going I'm to go with the the birthday cake answer. I'm also going birthday cake because I'm I'm concerned about um, how dirty that floor is, and I'm worried that I'm going to get like a bunch of stuff in my mouth from the floor yeah. more more than um, than yeah. I'm like less worried about the snot. Um, more worried about um, like picking things out of my teeth. <laughs> there are there are so many great show titles, and this is yours at your episode. So uh, yeah, so many great snow titles. Show titles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, thanks. Um, thanks, Corey. Any um, any other questions? Yeah. All right. I have one. So this is my first IAFP conference, and I've just been networking with people, learning about their story through food safety and how they got there. And I'm just curious to know at what point in your guys' career were you like, this is what I want to do. I want to I want to pursue a career in food safety, or in your case, it was academia. But was there any like one point where you're like, this is it, that this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, so for me, it was taking um, Dick Ledford's food microbiology class at Cornell as an undergrad. Um, I, and I've told this story before on the podcast, I will tell it again. Um, I majored in food science. Uh, I chose to major as a freshman, which was very unusual at the time, chose to major in food science, um, not because I loved food science, but because I knew there would be jobs. I was told, I was told, I was told there would be jobs at the end, at the end of my, my undergraduate education. Um, and I hated it. I absolutely hated food science. I hated studying about processed food. Uh, I still have uh, PTSD. Uh, of a video that they showed uh, a machine that we, you would dump, you would you would dump you, you you would dump a hog carcass into, and it would peel the skin off the hog, hog carcass. I can still picture that pig spinning in that machine. Um, I hated I hated 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 food science, and then I took um, general micro. And I, I got a D. I, that is my, my, my worst grade as an undergrad. I got a D in general micro. Um, but I loved it because our professor used to read to us from morbidity and mortality weekly reports. And it was the best thing. Um, and then I took advanced general micro, which was not at all about food micro. It was about microorganisms in hot springs. But I loved it. And my professor was young and hip and cool. Uh, he had a beard. Um, I did too at the time. And uh, he was just really cool. And I, he was great. And then I took food micro. And I'm like, yeah, this is fantastic. Fantastic. And oh, guess what? I can go to graduate school, and I don't have to get a job yet. Um, and then, and then, of course, I worked for Larry Bouchard, who's an amazing man, who, for reasons that are still not clear to me, took me on as his graduate student. And then I worked for Romeo Toledo as a, as a, uh, a PhD student. And so, but really, for me, it was the well, you know, it was it was taking Dick Ledford's class, but then it was also sitting in a lecture that Bob Gravani gave to prospective students telling us about jobs. And he was going through all these different jobs. And then, and then he said, or you could go to graduate school. And I'm like, I could go to graduate school? That sounds way better than getting a job. Yeah. And so, and so that, was my, that was my trajectory into food safety. And well, and so and I would say, too, one more minor caveat. So when I worked for Larry, I did fermentation research. When I worked for Romeo, I also did fermentation research. So I really wasn't into food safety. But then I figured out pretty quickly that where, where the action was in food microbiology was less in fermentation and more in food safety. And so once I made that switch and once I realized that I was probably not going to save the world by teaching people how to make, you know, yogurt out of soybeans or peanuts, because uh, that stuff tastes terrible. Um, uh, that, that, that I could take all the stuff that I was doing in terms of modeling and, and risk assessment and, well, not, not then, but, but modeling and statistics, and just apply that to food safety. So that, that's, that's my uh, story in a nutshell. Mine? 
it, it, it's hard for me to put like a, a, a specific threshold um, uh, on it. I, I was I was always really interested in in disease and and I you know, I, I, I still listed in my bio and I've heard it like a bunch of times and I probably need to take it out but I, I list that watching um, the movie Outbreak, which is you know probably on TNT right now. Um, with Dustin Hoffman from the mid '90s, um, got me really interested in like how do you control diseases and, and people get sick and and um, and and I was really in, in, really really into infectious diseases. So you know I, I fell fall, fell into all the traps of a high school student not knowing a whole bunch about science and read The Hot Zone and was like oh this is the greatest you know book ever and it's all totally real and I should like start looking at like monkeys and Ebola and um, and so I, I you know I kind of decided to go um, the route of um, disease and when I went to school I, I make odd choices I went to uh, the University of Guelph in Canada for a, like two small reasons one it was far enough away from my parents that they would never come drive there um, and two, like two, it was close enough that if I needed to go do laundry, that I could go do it. Like I was willing to take the drive, um, and it was close to close to Toronto, where where I spent my entire life until I moved to North Carolina ten years ago, and. Um, and and that was that's that was my like that was my home. So I was looking for a, a spot, you know, at a university um, where I could do something disease related, and I chose molecular biology and, and genetics as as my undergrad um, degree. And I was not a I was not a very good student. Like I, I you know, I, I had a maybe that's the maybe that's the key to successful podcasting. Be it yeah. not a very good student. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't. It could be it may also be the key to getting tenure. Yeah. yeah right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't like I became a good student when I went to graduate school. Oh, see, that's, yeah. I became a, a better student, but I okay. wouldn't I wouldn't be what you would call a, I was not. So I, I went from being a B.C. student to a solid B student. Yeah. OK. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I could fall into that uh, that list as well. Um, I didn't I, I didn't really like like the classes, I, uh, I, there were a couple of classes that stick out, and so similar to that, I, I had a microbiology class, um, and I was really interested in the fermentation. And this is again says a lot about my personality. Um, I had a professor who uh, studied at the Carlsberg Institute in Denmark on beer fermentation, and I was like, just tell us all about beer fermentation. Like, just I don't just what how, what what is this like? Um, and so so I connected with him. Um, uh, and then I, uh, I took a virology class when I was in my fourth year, and I really liked viruses, and it really connected with me on like disease, and it was just like a cool, um, such a cool class. I I landed in this world like of of academia. I, I would say partially or maybe fully because of coming to IAFP the first couple of times. And um, I, my, my like third piece is I, um, I, I started, I uh, was looking for a summer job and started working uh, for, for Doug Powell. Um, and um, Doug was uh, doing this before Barf Blog, but he was really interested in risk communication of outbreaks. And there was a, a, a waterborne E. coli 0157H7 outbreak that happened in Ontario like two weeks after I started working for him. And I knew people from this town, the town of Walkerton. And I knew people because I, I played baseball and hockey with a bunch of guys from, from this little town. And 
um, to connect like disease to the stories that I was hearing from them about like one of their grandmothers was one of the seven individuals who died initially. And, you know, just like how that like water contamination affected an entire town. I was like, Oh, maybe like, maybe this is what I like. Maybe this is, and I changed my entire stream from molecular biology and genetics into like, you know, really back into like this, this idea of infectious diseases and, and Doug was doing food. Um, and then I came here and this is really like IAFP for me, my, I, you know, I might've, I've probably talked about this on the podcast. My first experience at IAFP was, um, I was really insular. We, our lab had like eight or nine people here. I met nobody. I, I, and like on purpose, I was like, who, I, I don't know. All these people seem to know each other, right? Like you walk around at IAFP is <laughs> like, you're all talking to each other. I don't know any of you, um, but you all seem to know each other. So it's like, oh, you know, you're, you're an outsider. Or I felt that way. So we, our, our group really just kept to ourselves. And then um, I, the two individuals who are still close friends to me today, the first two people that I met here were um, Wendy White and Michelle Daniluk. And it was at a... Um, like at a rooftop bar at a at a restaurant in in, uh, in in San Diego, and I was like, they have a badge on, <laughs> and I'm at this meeting, and I was like, hi, <laughs> and and it was like so so then I, you know I, there was like right before the the banquet and I chatted with them and then the next year I was like oh I should get involved in, in you know the student professional development group and all these things that were that were happening and just the like family and experiences here at IAFP made me realize in those first two years that this actually could be a career like like I didn't even I, I never even thought about it like I, I I really hadn't no no concept so I was doing a master's degree and I was like well I better go do a PhD because I don't want to job like a real job either um and and i just i just like you know kept and then you know talking with other people like oh what are you what are you doing you know people that are a little bit that were a little bit older that were getting jobs and it was like what's that process like and what is it like to you know i'll think about cali um you know cali neal and um manan sharma um, and um, Steve Kenny, um, you know, three individuals who took three different routes that were a couple years older than me that I met through that student professional development group, but they had turned into like actual career professionals. And just talking with them about like, what is it like? What is your job like? And then I was like, oh, okay, I like what Kelly does. <laughs> uh, and that's, yeah, that, that's what I've, I've done ever since. So, so, so I, have, I have one, two bits of feedback related to what you just said. So how I got into academia was I, was, I still remember where I was. I was sitting in the basement of the food science department at UGA in a, a tiny little room, which had a giant piece of equipment in it. And I was writing my, my dissertation and I was flipping through, this is back when we used to find jobs by looking in magazines. I was flipping through Food Technology magazine magazine and I saw that they were advertising for an extension specialist at Rutgers and I said you know I wasn't I wasn't like I figured I'd get a job I still the whole time I figured I'd get a job in the food industry because um, that's apparently where they have jobs um, is yeah. in the food industry and then I was flipping through food technology magazine and the, and they're looking for an extension specialist at Rutgers and I'm like Rutgers that's a good school right and uh, extension well I know the guys at Georgia that do extension, they're kind of they're kind of like good old boys, but I could talk to them about what they do, and I talked to them, and it's like, oh yeah, I could I could do that, so I applied. It wasn't because I wanted a job in academia. It wasn't because I wanted to be an extension specialist. It was because I needed a job. Yeah. And and lo and behold, they 
offered me the job. And I'm like, well, I guess I, I guess I got to go take it. I guess I, I guess I get better go figure out. And I was so naive. I I did not. And this is this is going to make any of you who are considering jobs in, in academia, uh, you know, scratch your head. I didn't even know you had to negotiate a startup package, right? I negotiated nothing. I'm like, they're going to give me a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to pay me actual money to do a job. And the guy that I replaced had an extension teaching appointment. I was hired with an extension research appointment um, because the department chair at the time, Daryl Lund, knew that extension teaching appointment would be the death knell for a new faculty member. So I had a research appointment, but I didn't have a lab. And so I, we were waiting for a new building to open up so people could move out and I could get lab space. And eventually, eventually I got lab space. I lucked out. I wrote a stupid grant that they never should have given me money for, and I got money. And I and I and I used that to pay my program associate, who was also, um, uh, you know, brand new, learning how to do research. And anyway, somehow we managed to cobble all it together. Um, and it, it turned out okay. I think it turned out okay. Um, but but what I want to say, I want to share, as I've shared before, is the story of when I first met you. And I don't remember where it was. It was outside. It was at night. It was like in front of a building, probably in front of the convention center. And you were smoking a cigarette. Mm. And I did not know, learn for a long time that you were not a smoker, no. but you were just happened just to be like. And Doug went in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. I was, think was, you're, was, it, yeah was it Baltimore? It was Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. I went in Baltimore. And, I think you're and, supposed to smoke. Yeah, and I'm Doug, all and, about the local experiences. And Doug, and Doug, Doug, Doug uh, on and off smokes, and and Ben, I guess, was smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, who's this guy? He's trying to look cool, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's probably the last cigarette I smoked. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like it's just it's so funny to think that from that that point to this point. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just. Random connections, you know. I mean, if I if I hadn't been looking in Food Technology Magazine, I haven't seen that job. If I hadn't gone to IFP that year, if I hadn't been in that place at that that time, I probably would have met you eventually. Probably would have met right. eventually. But 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 anyway, here we are today. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it, it is it is you know, Corey. Thanks so much for the for the question because it is kind of fun to to think back on on that and, and think of it from from your perspective, just sort of like entering the phase of of thinking about a a career and you know. I don't. I don't think there's any one, you know, one sort of like uh, uh, a bell ring that's like, okay, this is this is what I, you know. Yeah. In my experience, it was kind of like a bunch of things all together. And, and it and it all makes sense if you look backwards. Yeah. But but there's a wonderful quote about you know life makes sense when you look at it backwards, but you have to live it forwards, and so you never know what what the future is going to hold. But um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been a fun it's been a fun journey so far. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel. Um, big fan of the podcast. Um, uh, so my my question is going back to the uh, the uh, now my mind is totally blank. Is it? Is, the, uh, I, I will. I'm gonna eat the one you with know, the the kids bit on. Bit, yeah. Ben and I make this look easy. It's not as easy as it looks, and it and it's even harder when you're sitting in your office by yourself, talking to a person that you don't make right. eye contact with. Right, right, so right, right. It's, it's, it's okay, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So the the Ivan Parkin lecture with uh, Barbara Chamberlain. So in that, in her in her lecture, she showed us examples of apps and videos that she's made, and I noticed that both of you had, um, had, like had a little credit on on. A couple of those. So I was just wondering, wanted you to tell us kind of the story of those, maybe 
maybe the, hopefully the success of those or like what the what you've seen come from that oh yeah yeah no great um great great question so uh, uh you know I'll, I'll start with this one i was part of uh, a project where um we had some money for training fresh fruit and vegetable growers um, and doing so in a way that was um, prior to FISMA being really well defined and, and and sort of saying, okay, we know that there's going to be good agricultural practices as part of the produce uh, safety rule. Um, and w in, instead of trying to create something that's like, just about meeting those regulations, we wanted to be able to demonstrate some of the concepts behind why the regulations existed. And so the the project that I was part of, Barbara mentioned, was called Produce Safety Matters. And I think it's at producesafetymatters.com or .org, um, or both of them. And it was the uh, Purple Triangle uh, project that, that, that she mentioned. And so uh, Michelle Danilek, who, who we just mentioned, and I, and uh, Diane Ducharme, who now works for the produce safety team at FDA, she was at NC State at the time, um, we went to, um, to New Mexico State because we had seen Barbara and Jeannie Gleason, who works with Barbara, present about the, the animations and, um, and the, the game uh, projects that they they were working on for others, and we thought, you know, what a better, what a great way to to use some of the funds that we have for training, and make something that doesn't exist out there that's that's really really cool. And so um, the three of us went and spent uh, two days, three days maybe with um, with with Barbara and and Jeannie and, and their team developing a concept, and it was it was like a a um, an environment not like unlike any others that I'd been to in in a academic setting I mean it was like what you what what I hear about like with Silicon Valley where you've got like a game room and you've got like ping pong and just like cool stuff <clears throat> all happening for creativity that's what that's what they have and and so um, we sat there and just like tried to think about ideas and, and be creative and they would go over to a developer would like type some stuff up and be like what about this and we'd be like oh damn, and then we'd see it on a screen. And then we'd be like, well, that's cool, except, and this is where the purple triangle stuff came in, um, that's cool, but that looks a lot like a tomato, and the tomato growers are gonna be kind of pissed off if we are just highlighting cross-contamination with, with tomatoes, can we make something else? And, and so it, it evolved um, really quickly over those three days into these storyboards and some sketches, and then, um, you know, over the next couple of months, we we went back and forth electronically, and and then produced these these animation videos. And um, I, I haven't worked really directly with with growers uh, much in the last four or five years, but in the first couple of years that we produced these, use them all the time as a introduction to a module, as a way to say, okay, we just talked about cross contamination in, in these bullet points. Let me show you what that means. Um, and so they're just a, a phenomenal group that that gets both the um, the import the science behind some of the stuff you're trying to, to, to relay and then um, working within the extension realm so yeah they're just a can't speak high, high, high enough about the New Mexico State uh, creative innovation lab I think they're called something like that yeah, I got, I've, I've got it I've got it up here hold on I will I will, I will find it it is the um, uh, yeah, and I have Barbara's page up. Um, yeah. Innovative Media Research and Extension. There you go. So, yeah, so my, my story is, and it's really, again, it's one of those things that it's not really due to any 
real, it's more, it's more, my, most, most of my career seems to be explained by luck. Um, so it's really due to the fact that my colleague, uh, Carol Bird Breadmanner, who is, and we'll link to her in show notes as well. So she's a distinguished professor of nutritional sciences at, at Rutgers, and she got a USDA grant um, to do some uh, media work around um, food safety for young adults. And uh, as part of that grant, she had budgeted in work with the folks at New Mexico State. And so Barb, um, uh, Barbara, or uh, Carol rather, is a really good um, grant writer and she's a really good nutritional science person. She doesn't necessarily have the food safety expertise that I do. And so when she wrote this grant, she reached out to me to be the, the food safety uh, background person. And then, and that's, and that's really how I got involved. I don't remember, from Barbara's slide deck, I don't remember what, which, which thing I was credited on, but the thing that I most remember doing, which I don't think I was credited on, was the, the Kitchen Ninja game. And I playtested that game, and it was, it was really, it was a lot of fun to, to playtest it. And then the other one that I was in, and I don't remember now exactly how I was involved, but there's one with the blueberry, and the blueberry is, has got poo on it, and it's walking past the other blueberries. And I remember talking, giving some, some food safety uh, kind of uh, cross-contamination advice on, on that particular on that particular video but it's it's been it's been great to work with with Barbara and, and with everybody in the lab so Oh yeah! Oh oh! Don't be gross! Oh yeah! So this is really this is really interesting. So um, uh, I will tell a little bit of a story here. So Carol was working on this "Don't Be Gross" stuff, and of course, like part of the "Don't Be Gross" is to try to be as gross as you can, right? And tell people not to be gross. And so she had put up some signs and stuff. Uh, about and trying to be as gross as possible to tell people not to be gross. And at one point, a faculty member, and so of course at the bottom of these these don't be gross signs that, that Carol had posted all around the campus um, was you know funded by USDA, et cetera, et cetera. And at one point, I had a faculty member come into my office, waving this piece of paper, saying, "Have you seen this? <laughs> this is disgusting. Federal grant dollars were used to create this." And this is an atrocity, and I will complain. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, dude, you're not the demographic, right? Like, she's not trying to reach you. She's trying to reach the the, the college kids here on the on the campus. So, um, yeah, and and uh, of course, he I, I don't know if he complained or not, but it, it, it was all fine. Um, but he's still I think he's still upset about it to this day. That's funny. I had I I had a uh, a project we ran as part of the stat cap. Grant the sugar toxin producing E. coli coordinated agricultural pro pro project. And I'm sure there's a like an, an AFRI number after that that I'm supposed to say every time I say the project. Um, but uh, we did uh, food safety at tailgate focus uh, and published a couple of papers. And as part of that, we we did um, some like direct social marketing to individuals on you know in tailgates and so the project was trying to figure out like what do people do when they tailgate um, for food safety and how can we change those practices and so we made up like stack cap thermometers and um, aprons and this is the part that got us maybe a little bit in trouble beer koozies 
because what, what do you do at a tailgate? Drink beer, beer. right? So we like give some swag that gets people in, involved. And so a state senator in Nebraska got hold of like the impact statement that AFRI had posted, uh, you know, NIFA had posted from, from USDA where it was like, and food safety at tailgates. Like the, that was the like, and, and, and then there was like a supply line that like included beer koozies and went off like on this tirade, sent it to like, you know, USDA, um, the governor in, in Nebraska, and just about like, I can't believe that federal food safety dollars are paying for beer koozies. But it's out of context, right? Like it's not, um, it's not really what it was paying for. And that was yeah. like like $60 of the 25 million. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and, yeah. and dude, I mean, the, the beer koozies are not for you. Right? Yeah. They're for communicating, right? You, you have to, here's the, and it's again, it's exa- thank you. That's exactly the point, right? It's like, this, th- this is what we need to do to reach this audience. And I, I, again, I still remember conversations with FDA people who are like, well, we need to get people that are at risk of Vibrio vulnificus um, not eating raw oysters. And the people that eat Vibrio vulnificus are older, white, alcoholic men. So that, that, that demographic is a different demographic than, let's say, the people that are tailgating, different than yep. the people, the, high, the college kids that, are, that we're trying to get to change their behavior. And so you have to, you ha- you, 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 as a communicator, and I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a communicator, I mean, I'm not a professional, like that's not my, pro- <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm communicating how badly I'm not a communicator. Um, but, it's very meta, very yeah, meta. It's, it's, it's very yeah. meta. It's great. We're like three, 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 three deep in the stack now. Um, but... The, the point is you have to communicate to people not how you want to communicate to them, but how they want to be communicated to, right? Yep. And, and, and getting people to wrap people's heads around that. And maybe it means a disgusting poster. Maybe it means marketing materials that don't make sense to you. Maybe it means a friggin' beer koozie, right? I mean, it's got to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when you're on the outside, you're like, what is this? What is happening? And that's, you're, it's not really your, like, you can question it. It's not really your place to impose if you're not sure what the context is. Yeah. Kind of like how I feel about Snapchat. I don't understand yeah. Snapchat. Yeah, but but it's but it's not for me. It's not for you. It's not for you. Yeah, me either. I I opened the Snapchat for the first time while I was sitting on the digital media communications panel to see snaps that were sitting there for like six weeks or whatever. Um, cool. So I have another comment. Uh, I just wanted to say, Ben, the roundtable that you were at yesterday about um, employ like. Having making sure sick employees aren't coming to work, that was one of the best roundtables that I have been to. I mean, it was really, so I'm in industry and, and it was so helpful to be able to hear other people's ideas on how can we make sure that when our employees are sick that they're not showing up to work. I mean, that when, I, when I first started it at my job, we, um, we didn't have a, a sick day policy and and we were running you know running into all these problems where you know I'm of course I'm coming to work sick because that means I can't take a I can't take a day of PTO yep. like right and uh, and then now we have we have a sick day policy but then being at that at that round table helped me to realize that our sick policy isn't isn't really effective and it's not it's not um it's not doing its job properly. So I just, I just wanted to comment and say that, that I really appreciate that. And, and I thought that was a, a really interesting conversation. It was really helpful to me. Oh, thank you. It was, um, it was a really um, fun conversation to be part of as much as it is when you talk about sick employees. Uh, I, I, you know, I, um, 
uh, kudos to, to Julian Graham who put that to, put that together uh, for us because I think the panelists we we all came from a little bit of a of a different background um, on uh, in a different um, focus on the, on the question and that you know the thing that I walked away with from it was this is even more complicated than than I thought you know that I thought about just in preparing what I was going to talk about like just hearing everyone else's comments um, hearing Jason Horn's um, system that they implemented at um, at In and Out Burger was really fascinating but it, it gets into like so many other um, dynamics you know things that I hadn't even thought about which you know uh, about like unionization and um, you know aspects of uh, you know the, just like how 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 the workforce works, right? Like it's not just a, a, a food safety thing. So yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that. And and I, you know I think at the end of it, what what we all walk away with is like here's some ideas on what other people are doing. Um, but there's no there, nothing's magic in this one. Like there's we we can't we haven't we haven't figured it out or, or talk, tackled it well enough yet. So I'm not competitive at all. But would somebody like to come up and tell me how great the roundtable that I was in yesterday was? <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you how great your symposium talk was yesterday. Go I, for it. I was at it. It was really good. Don. Which one was that? The oh, yo, now you want to know which one. <laughs> All so, of them. Don. So I gave, I, gave, I gave three talks yesterday. Yeah. I, I, no, I one round table and two talks yeah. yesterday. No, the hand washing one oh, for okay. the, Thank you. the consumer miss. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I, I do, I mean, I'm making fun, but, but I, I do really appreciate, I mean, I really, the more I think about norovirus or hand washing or, you know, retail food safety, the more, the more I keep coming back to companies need a policy. Right, they need a policy, and again, hopefully, I'm not revealing too much. But my conversations with a certain person that that worked at a certain restaurant um, that I'm going to start going back to <laughs> was telling me all about um, their policy, and 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 you know, and that policy may be costing them money, um, but you know, be and. And again, I had a very nice conversation with somebody on the way coming here about like the implications of that policy, um, and about other companies that are implementing policies like that, and and the fact that you know what um, people are going to call out on Thursday and Friday, um, and and if they call out too much on Thursday and Friday, then maybe they ought to revisit whether this is really the right job for them or not. But honestly, if somebody has vomiting and diarrhea, you you want them to to not work, and you and you want to do it in a way that incentivizes them to do the right thing for food safety. Yep. Yep. Good. Thanks, Dan. We have we have another another guest. Uh, well, I guess I just wanted to real quick say I was at the hand washing uh, thing, <laughs> so I, I I will validate that that was really really good, and uh, I can I can objectively prove it because it was massive, standing room only through the whole thing. So so will you validate that or will you verify that? That's Ooh. that's what I want to know. Ooh, trick question. That's um. a little food safety joke there. <laughs> Well, it was, it was through personal observation, so that's probably you know. That, that that's all I've got. I just wanted to just wanted to. <laughs> would, would anybody else like to come up and say nice things about me? <laughs> no, Don, no, no. Uh, Don, we have a special guest. Your mom's here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, funny you should joke about that because we've actually done a podcast. Uh, ne next up, we need to do a podcast where your mom is there. Oh, man. true. We should. Yeah. We. Uh, um, the Geneseo uh, live podcast that we did last fall, uh, Don's parents were, were in attendance, and I got to meet them and hang out with them. They were, they were lovely. Uh, Mimi and well, Bill. Bill. Mimi and Bill. And we had, we had very nice, two very nice meals. It was a great time. So, 
Awesome. Thanks for well, that. Thanks for thanks. coming up and saying something yeah. nice. I real I'm really I'm really not looking for I'm not really no. I'm not really no, no. I'm really not looking for anybody to come, to come up, up and Yeah, don't talk about Don's <laughs> presentations at all. I, I, I do have to say though, this is I mean, you know, Tuesday was a was a busy day for me, but it was it was just so gratifying to come up and, and to, to give those talks and, and, and to hear from people how much they enjoyed them. Um, uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not just self-promoting. I mean, it was—it really was fun, and it was—you know—it it, was—it was great. And, I, and also, I'm really glad that the program committee has instituted a policy that no one can give more than three talks in the entire conference. And so that's a new policy, and it's a good policy yeah. uh, because it keeps you from hearing from the same voices, and it also keeps people, you know, from from getting, um, you know, crazy with having to give too many talks. That's good. Hi, I'm Lauren Hudson. I'm a postdoc in the food science department at University of Tennessee. Um, I mainly just wanted to come up here and do this. Um, I was like trying really hard to think of a question. Like I couldn't think of anything that like I was like, I have to ask you. But if you have a one for me, maybe, and then I have a kind of one. So, so we'll well yeah. So we'll ask you a question. So, what's it like at the University of Tennessee, and who are your favorite professors? <laughs> What is what is happening yeah, here? What is happening? We just I'm yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. I mean, I like living in Knoxville. I am a postdoc and I do bioinformatics work, so I am in my office by myself most of the day, every day, pretty much. So I don't really have an answer to the favorite people. Yeah. So so who do you, whose lab do you work in at at uh, Knoxville? I worked in Dr. Dennis' lab, so. I like working with them, and I like the work we're doing. We do a lot of work with the Tennessee Department of Health with the clinical isolates and stuff, so. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing? So I am working with the Tennessee Integrated Food Safety Center of Excellence. Make sure I get all those words in there. Um, and I just do a lot of bioinformatics work um, with the Department of Health and like some training stuff. So bioinformatics-wise, I am doing some work like with kind of just looking at the phylogenetics of um, mostly salmonella right now, some campylobacter, and then if they kind of have suspected outbreaks or clusters they're not sure about, they'll send me like those isolates and I'll run them along with some other ones and see if we can kind of determine what's going on and look at it in the context of epi information. And then I've done some trainings. I help teach like a whole genome sequencing for epidemiologists and laboratorians live learning series. and. Um, I've helped with like New York Center of Excellence, did some, um, does office hours every two weeks for about the WDS stuff for epidemiologists and other public health officials. So yeah, that's been really interesting. So how did you find the podcast? Um, I think I am one of the original ones who used it to study for their um, doctoral exams. I think it helped the most with the, um, with the, with the oral one specifically because um, I think I took them around the time that there was a flower outbreak mm -hmm. and y'all just talked about it on the podcast like a week before or something. And so I was able to talk about that for like 30 minutes during I knew like how many cases there were and like some like thoughts about, you know, because it kind of helped me think about like, oh, what, how did this happen? What can we do about it? Some things like that. So it really helped in that way specifically. And it did help with my, my written ones too. Because one of Dr. Harrison's questions was, um, what was it? You had to talk about three food safety people that were not at the University of Georgia or in Athens. Whoa! So you gave me two. two. That's so that was kind of perfect because wow. you talked about their work or what they do. Oh, like that's that. pretty. That's pretty. So cool. sorry, I miss you from UGA. So so I, I'll change my question. Who are your favorite professors at UGA? <laughs> um, Dr. Harrison, of course. Um, 
But like there's two. So you're gonna pick a Dr. Harrison? Dr. Mark Harrison. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so he was my PI for my master's and my yeah. PhD and I got really spoiled to work with someone so great. Cool. All right. Jeez. I so, hope he doesn't listen. Yeah. He doesn't. He's he's no. Um so I have a question for you. Um, so I've known Lauren for, for a while through the through the podcast, and I saw her um, at a meeting in Tennessee um, earlier this year. And I think the next day or a day after, you were going to do some science communication um, type thing where you were like going to like you know pints of science or or something something like that. So what um, I guess how did it go? And so, tell me what you yeah tell what because you you talked to me about something and I couldn't remember the details, but mm-hmm. but how did how did that all go? So it was a taste of science taste of event science. in Knoxville, and I um, had the title. It was like busting food safety myths. So pretty much, it was me. I had a couple beers, and then I like stood up in front of people and like ranted a little bit, or like I kind of talked about <laughs> things. Like people all come and have misconceptions about, you know, like um, I was like, quit freaking calling norovirus the stomach flu, <laughs> or like don't wash your chicken, stuff like that. So, cool. It went really well. People, it was only supposed to be like 10 or 15 minutes, but people kept asking me questions, and I was up there for like 30 minutes. Awesome. You should do a podcast. That's basically what we do is like drink bourbon and rant. So, yeah. <laughs> so it went really well. I, I probably will do another one. Awesome. I have a question for y'all. Sure. That I made myself think of, but so I've started doing a lot of weird things since I, weird to normal people maybe, um, since I became a food science major in undergrad. And one of them is when I go to restaurants, I'll often look at the inspection report from mm-hmm. the wall. And like, I'll either be like, okay, I'll eat here, or I'm walking out the door, or it might determine like what I order. Do y'all do that? And like, give me give me an example of something you might see on that that would be like a red flag, or that might change your order. Yeah. So so for me, um, I used to do a lot more of that when I when my kids were younger, and um, and it was a little I was a little more paranoid about about their health, and I think for uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you have um, I've been, you know, been friends with and, and followed Bill Marler's um, career um, since I was in food safety, and, and he's he's so um, he's so good at sharing stories about kids that get sick and die that I was like, oh, that's the, I have a consequence here that I, you know I've got these these two boys that I want to make sure that we don't kill them um, with food. And also um, another another friend of mine who I've met through food safety, um, Barb Kowalchuk, who lost a son to um, E. coli 15787. And so to, I, I really, as before, I, yeah, they're they're older now that it's not so much of a, an issue, but I did spend a lot of time being like, like and d- getting down to like, how is this Chick-fil-A, because they all would eat at Chick-fil-A, is this Chick-fil-A better than another Chick-fil-A um, based on, on their inspection scores? And, and I wouldn't just look at the inspection score itself. I really, and this will be the nerdy part, I'd go to the Wake County um, uh, you know, Health Department um, uh, website and find the past two or three and see if they like fix things over time. Um, and that, that's how I handle it. I don't, I don't do as much of that now. I am, um, the second part of your question is like, okay, do you make a decision about eating different foods? I do. Um, if I go to a place now that that has a like less than stellar inspection score, I tend to not eat fresh things. I like eat a lot of fried stuff, um, <laughs> and and be like, well, can't really screw this up so bad. Um, I I try to avoid, um, and this is you know this is one uh, when it comes to um, 
Asian restaurants, if, if there's a, a poor score, I, I don't eat a lot of fried rice there, but I'll eat a lot of like sweet and sour chicken and, and maybe some noodles just based on history uh, of that, that product being linked to um, bacillus cereus uh, outbreaks. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I, that's kind of how I handle it. Yeah, um, you know, well, I do, I do like uh, scores on doors, um, and I was pleased to see that here in Louisville uh, there are scores, and I've only gone to restaurants that, that got an A, and then the nice thing is you can look to see it's an A, and then you can look a little bit in smaller print, you can look and see what the actual number score was, and so that's, that's really good. Um, in New Jersey, it, there are not scores on doors, and there are inspection results but they're typically posted in a place where they're hard to read or they're not, they're not immediately accessible. And so I don't do a lot of that. But I guess the good news is that in New Jersey, I kind of eat at the same places over and over again. And uh, if, they're, if the food is bad, we're not going to go back. I mean, one of our constant struggles, and we might have talked about this on the podcast. So we had, we had a favorite um, Thai restaurant, which closed. Uh, we had a favorite um, Indian restaurant, which closed. So uh, there's not another nearby Thai restaurant. So we've substituted with a couple of Vietnamese restaurants. Um, we that we found another Indian restaurant, which is which is pretty good. Um, uh, and um, we tried a new one. There apparently there's an Indian restaurant at the mall. We will not be going back. Um, they got the order wrong. It took a long time. Um, I did get I did get sick later in the week. I don't think that was from the Indian food, but I just if they if you can't get the order right, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm just I'm not going back. So um, so yeah. So me, it's it's more I guess about repeat business if they if they're doing a good job or not. Um, yeah. So so it's not it's not so easy necessarily in New Jersey to do that but I, I like to get that information and yeah I mean I and I'm a I mean whether whether the science supports it or not um, I do like seeing letter grades and I like seeing a number and it would be even better if I could drill down easily but I'm also kind of lazy so um, I don't always do that do they have the what's the health app for New Jersey because that's what I have it downloaded for all the states I've lived in and that's kind of nice sometimes but everywhere else too has had like the actual reports on like the wall or something so they <coughs> tell exactly what their issues were yeah so one of the one of the things about New Jersey and we've talked about this before on the podcast is it's a home rule state and so that means that there is no statewide reporting structure there may be a countywide reporting structure if public health is organized at the county level, but if you, as you get further north or closer to New York or Philadelphia, as the counties get smaller, um, it tends to be broken out by municipality. And so to, to it's so for services that want to aggregate those scores and post them, it's a lot of work. And, and so again, to, to bring it back to norovirus, we had a project uh, that was funded by NoroCore and we had to do some demographic sampling in different regions of New Jersey. And we had to get lists of restaurants and it was a pain in the ass and you had to pay, you had to send them a, a physical check and they sent you a photocopy back of, of information. And so it's not, it's not all top down organized like it is in, in some states. And so if, if that app does exist. Um, it's called what, what the health? Yeah. So we'll, we'll yeah. find it and we'll link to it. So as, if if somebody was going to implement that app, uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 harder to do in a state like New Jersey where the, there's not a single database that you can FOIA. Um, you have to actually go municipality by municipality. So. Thanks. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. I enjoy the podcast. So Don, what should we do here? 
We're at, I'll, I'll tell you, you, you don't have the uh, ability. Well, I guess you could look at the clock, but. I don't have the ability to tell time. Tell time, yeah. Me? I, I know when we, we started. Yeah, I know we've been, been recording going. for two hours yeah. and so, four minutes. I think it's time to play a game, Ben. Oh, yeah, it's time to play the food safety uh, talk game. All right, so there's almost no bourbon left. So I'm going to come up with some there's other. There's lots of red solo cups. There's lots of red solo cups, but I am going to come up with with uh, some sort of a prize. I think it, I th I'm leaning towards um, printing some uh, um, food safety talk uh, uh, T-shirts because uh, we haven't done that for for a while. Um, and so uh, so I think the uh, the winner of this will have to uh, we'll get some we'll get something like that a, a T-shirt. So here's how the game's going to go. Um, I have some food safety talk trivia prepared, and um, individuals who can answer some of these these difficult trivia questions um, will will get into uh, a, like sort of a, a final round, and then we'll have like a playoff uh, for it. I'll, I'll figure out the, all the rules as we go along here. Um, so, the first food safety talk trivia question is. Dog, Don, Don has a problematic dog. This problematic dog, I say it's problematic because uh, this dog led to uh, Don uh, breaking his wrist, uh, breaking, cracking his skull open, shoulder, breaking an, uh, an Apple Watch. Um, does anybody know what Don's problematic dog's name is? That's so, okay. so 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 correct correct yeah so, and, and so just just for yeah. the folks that are, who are from listening at home and might not have been able to hear that the the person from the audience said one of his dogs is named Bianca but Bianca is not the problematic dog which is which is which is not the answer that, that is a correct statement yeah, yeah. but it is not the answer that that Ben was looking no, for no no Alex Alex uh, is okay wait. for for bonus points what was what was Gibbs' name before we got him? <laughs> that was we that, got him from that was, a, that was literally it. my second question. Exactly. Yeah, we got him from a shelter. He had a name before we named him Gibbs. Yes. Oh, yes. All right. All right. We have our two. So, we have our two finalists here. So, yeah. so for again, for those of you who might not be able to hear, um, the correct answer was Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels was Gibbs' name before we got him. An honorable mention to the person who knew Bianca. Yeah, no, this is this is good. I knew Brett Michaels too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So this is a, this is the final question um, uh, of our food safety talk quiz. I I play on a men's hockey team that has a name that Don has uh, referenced a, a few times uh, over the uh, course of the podcast. Um, does anybody know my rec hockey league? Team name, <laughs> and this is this is between Alex and, and Lauren. Alex, yes. Okay. Yes, Alex is our winner. Both, uh, uh, well, all of our uh, contestants answering, even our honorable mention uh, uh, contestant Dan will receive uh, food safety talk uh, T-shirts uh, for this. So congratulations um, and uh, thank you for. Uh, so, so bonus, bonus yeah, follow-up oh, okay. question. Yeah. From what movie is the phrase "Gunga La Gunga" derived? Uh, it is from, uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> for the bonus bonus question. 
what famous world religious leader is referenced in the <laughs> clip from Caddyshack where Gunga Lagunga is mentioned? The Dalai Lama, the very Lama, good. Lama. Alex has cleaned up today. Yeah. Alex, I might have to give Alex like three shirts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the t-shirts. Well, all, all, all the best t-shirts. All the best t-shirts. So, yeah. So, um, so Dan, Lauren, and, and Alex, uh, make sure you uh, you connect uh, with me um, and just give me an address on, on where to send uh, some shirts, and we'll be happy to, to get those out. But uh, yeah, I was hoping to give you like a third of a bottle of bourbon. Um, but, <laughs> well, but 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 I've been watching the the bottle of bourbon very carefully. Yeah. I think Alex may already have a third of the <laughs> bottle of bourbon. <laughs> Alex is our big bourbon winner too. Well, good job, good job. Uh, all right. Well, I think uh, I think that's a show. I think uh, in the in the audio version that you're listening to right now, you hear uh, you hear Neil Young uh, jamming out, and that's a show. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.